it's finally here, man. I can't believe it, but holiday season is upon us, but that usually means for a lot of us, some additional stress. You've got the stress of travel, of work, of weather, but then there's the financial stress. And there's an old saying in the South, there's no stress like money stress. And if that's got your family stressed out, man, go to savewithbruce.com. Don't put Christmas on a credit card. Find out how easy it is to get rid of all that credit card debt, get a lower monthly payment and skip your next two house payments. That's right. No payments in December or January. You're done until February 1st and come February. How much money will you be saving every month? 500, 600, 700, 800. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. But if you need some extra Christmas cash and you've got some credit card debt, or you just like a cheaper monthly payment on your mortgage, we can get you the cash you need and make life fast and easy. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. So what are you waiting for? Go to savewithbruce.com right now. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib? No, you have a big There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. It, 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 was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I ain't scared of shit. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck him. Fuck you, Bruce. I love you. Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard on a very special Thanksgiving edition. What's going on, Bruce? How are you? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm just wishing everybody a happy Thanksgiving. That was in, I speak gobbledygooker, you know. Oh, I see. Well, I wish you didn't. But I am glad that uh, we got to hang out this past weekend in Los Angeles, California. Uh, many thanks to our special guest, Lillian Garcia. Uh, of course, Hall of Famer Gerald Briscoe was there. And then we had a couple of surprises. How about Taylor Williamson from the America's Got Talent finals a couple of years ago? He uh, opened up and talked about his wrestling fandom, and that was a tremendous moment. And then we had a little run-in from... Triple X sensation, Whitney Wright, who I believe is up for, uh, I guess like the Academy award of adult films, the AVN performer of the year. So a, a star studded cast. And then of course my slapdick buddies, Corey Ryan Forrester and Drew Morgan. It was a great time. It was an excellent time. It was some of the most fun I've ever had at a show in Los Angeles. The audience made it, you know, Conrad, we've been doing this now for almost two years and still it is one of the most humbling experiences in the world to walk out on stage and see all those people that are there just to listen to us talk and do our thing. No doubt about it. And, uh, we can't thank you guys enough for all the support. And we're looking forward to seeing more of you this weekend at WrestleCade. Uh, if you haven't already cruise on over, I believe today is the last day to buy tickets at bridgepritchard.com. Uh, we're completely sold out with general admission and VIP, but we do have some standing room only. And if you missed your chance, but still would like to see the show, I would encourage you to check it out. BrucePritchard.com. It's this Saturday at WrestleCade in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. 
And then uh, about a week later, you and I are heading across the pond, man. Tell them about it. Can't wait. December 4th, we're going to be in Glasgow, Scotland. And December the 5th, Belfast, Northern Ireland. Uh, there are less than 20 tickets as we speak for each of those shows. So if you want to see us in Scotland or you want to see us in Northern Ireland, I suggest you get your tickets right now because these will sell out. And then we're going to go over to England. And our first night, uh, December 6th, we're going to be in Birmingham. December 7th in London, December 8th in Bristol, and my favorite, December 9th in Liverpool. And the great thing about these events is you also get a Fight Forever live wrestling event as well. And people are talking, is Cody going to be there? Is Cody going to show up? Man, Cody is confirmed. Cody is going to be there live, and he is going to be a part of the event, along with, of course, Flip Gordon, Jimmy Havoc, Papa Shango, the Godfather, Conrad and Bruce, a whole lot more. It's going to be a great, great, great week in the UK, Scotland, and Northern Ireland. So check it out. BrucePritchard.com is where you can get your tickets for that. And even Colorado Springs on January 19th. January 27th, the day of the Royal Rumble, will be in Phoenix, just about a block away. Of course, early in January, you can see Eric Bischoff and Bruce in Friendswood, Texas at Feinerman Sports in the Baybrook Mall. But most importantly, you and I and Eric are getting together on March 1st in Connecticut. It's mine and your first trip to Connecticut. Tickets are on sale for that right now at brucepritchard.com, and we're calling it something to wrestle with 83 weeks. This should be fun. It should be a whole hell of a lot of fun because by God, I'll just, well, you know what I'll do. I'll, I'll have to just set Eric straight and let him know exactly who it was that won the war and why we won. My goodness. Well, if you're trying to win the war on debt, maybe you should check out lightstream.com. What we're talking about is getting you some extra cash for the holidays, uh, especially if you've got credit card balances already. Why not convert it to a lower rate and save with Lightstream? They offer credit card consolidation loans starting at just 6.14% APR with an auto pay. So you compare that to the national average credit card rate, Bruce, that's like 19%. So this is drastically reduced from the national average and they can get you anywhere from five to a hundred grand. And you can even get your money as fast as the day you apply. So I don't know why you wouldn't check this out, man. The application is totally online. There are no hidden fees and Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a great interest rate. And Bruce, you've been telling me people in your real life are using Lightstream all the time now. Yeah, they sure are. As a matter of fact, a friend of mine just bought a house and needed a little extra and he went to Lightstream. What he loved about it, you didn't have to mess with the banks. You didn't have to mess with anything. It's not a mess at all. It's easy and it's simple and it's all self-contained over at lightstream.com. All you got to do is go in there, put your information in. It'll tell you what your payment will be. And uh, as Conrad said, it's an easy peasy deal, man. And my listeners can save even more with an additional interest rate discount. And the only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash Russell. That's L I G H T S T R E A M dot com slash wrestle. Lightstream.com slash wrestle. Subject to credit approval. Rate includes a point 
Oh, that's a half a percent, folks. Auto pay discount terms and conditions apply, and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash Russell for more information. All right, Bruce, let's talk about why we're really here, man. We're here to watch Survivor Series 1988. Of course, we very recently covered 1998. But today we're going to do something a little different. It's our Thanksgiving tradition, which was the original tradition for Survivor Series way back when. We're going to uh we're going to go ahead and do a watch along. This should be fun. Okay. All right. Well, give us a countdown. <laughs> Uh, I'm, right. I really appreciate all your enthusiasm for the show. Uh, November 24th, 1988. We're going to get in our way back machine. Hopefully you're full of Turkey and tryptophan and you're about to fall asleep anyway. Cause I know I'm going to during this 42 minute, 20 man tag, uh, Bruce, give us a countdown and hopefully at home, you've got the, uh, WWE network pulled up and you're queued up and ready to go. You're going to let the disclaimer play and you're going to be on pause waiting on us and Bruce will count us down and here we go. All right, guys, five, four, three, two, one, start. Welcome to Richfield, Ohio, the Richfield Coliseum for Survivor Series. I love the old uh, wide shot and then panning down to the two announcers. How about Jesse? Dressed up like a fucking pilgrim here. This is good stuff. That's Jesse's everyday wear there. And the crazy thing about it, I'd like to say something about Gorilla Monsoon's blue glasses. I, I read something somewhere about how he always wore sunglasses inside. Those were prescription glasses that he had to have a tint because of his eyes. So cut Gorilla a break when you're giving him that shit. But uh, he was always a styling son, bitch. He had the blue glasses, the red glasses, the gold glasses. It works. And why did he have to have a tint? It was something to do with his eyes. He just needed some shading. So check out what's going on in the ring right here. This is uh, our opening contest. The ultimate warriors in the ring. Oh, there he is. Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake. looks like he put his finger in a light socket over in the far corner. Check him out. It's the blue blazer himself. I think a lot of people probably forgot that blazer and, uh, warrior and Brutus. And how about this motherfucker, Sam Houston, all on the same team. And jumping Jim Brunzel, by God. Nah, I don't know why we're excited about him. I like Jim. Yeah. He, oh, you were the guy. Nah, Jim was great. Yeah, there's Ultimate Warrior doing what he does best, shaking ropes and uh, spewing Warrior is idiotisms. No, Warrior was the man here. Don't lie. No, he wasn't. He's the Intercontinental Champion. He just beat the Honky Tonk Man at SummerSlam. Oh, hell. Well, damn, I stand corrected then. There's a honky-tonk man, greatest intercontinental champion of all time. He is a honky-tonk man. And Jimmy Hart, of course, famous from the world-famous Jimmy Hart Tiki Bar in beautiful Daytona Beach, Florida. They got beer and cans and everything there. Dangerous Danny Davis, Greg the Hammer Valentine, and the outlaw Ron Bass coming up the rear. By God, the one and only Bad News Brown. Bad News Brown coming up the rear. Well, you know, somebody's got to be last. Look at the, just the collection of, now here's, here's the great part about it. On the heel side, the exception, maybe a Danny Davis, every one of those guys, top main event guys yep. on the, 
On the other side, you've got Warrior main event guy, uh, Beefcake main event guy, and uh, they're partners. You, you thought Outlaw Ron Bass and Greg Valentine were main event guys for the WWF here? They had been. I mean, at this point, no, but Greg Valentine had been a main event guy in his, basically his whole career, and Ron Bass everywhere that he went. He was over in Florida, motherfucker. You know, I've never heard anybody say that Greg Valentine was a main eventer his entire life. So I'm, I'm learning yeah. things today. He was. I believe. So you. was Beefcake. I believe you. By God. Nice yellow boots and versus pink tights. You got to love the color here. This this was during a time that I, I remember Vince would have on the the run sheets, no matching tights. And nobody, but nobody that I can think of, um, on the baby face side ever had black tights. Baby faces had to have color. Got a pop. Well, why no matching tights? Well, because when you're calling a match and, uh, you're calling someone and if they were both wearing white striped tights and well, uh, you can't identify them by their trunk color. And so that was for, to be able to tell people, okay, well, to differentiate between the two guys in the ring, if you don't know who they are, then you can do trunk color. Uh, recently, you know, this happens every now and again, notes from Vince will leak out like to the commentators, what he wants them to say or not say, and you know, you're not going to a hospital, you're going to a medical facility, blah, blah, blah. One of the things I saw was don't say I or me. Correct. Talk me through that. No one gives a fuck what you, what you think or what you did or what I did. They want you, He wants them to talk about the talent in the ring by name. Greg, the hammer Valentine. Oh my, the hammer now going to work on beefcake's legs. It's not, he's not going to work on his legs. He's going to work on beefcake's legs. All right. I get that. But you know, to be, I mean, why would it be? I think, I think he got him. You can't say that. No, he got him. No, he didn't. Pronouns, pal. <laughs> Blazer got Valentine. Now Valentine top hammer. Oh my goodness. Look at the agility of this guy. What high flying skills of the blue blazer still in control with the hammer. Boy, you're going to see a lot out of this one, Jesse. Um, yeah, it was very, it's very specific, but the thing about it is, is once you get used to it, you, it's just, uh, simple not to fall into it anymore. Every once in a while you do. You know, what's interesting to me though, is what you just said when you said, uh, he got him. No, he didn't. You know, that, that was like the old Vince McMahonism and we've joked about pronouns, pal, but he himself would yell. He got him every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and rather than even, you know, he would, it would just be the generic as, <laughs> oh, look at that. Oh my. Oh, right. Right. Uh, he's, he's, he's got no, no. Bad news, Brown. And he would go through the whole thing without calling one move. Certainly weren't going to call a hold. That's for damn sure. And it would just be right there for that end. For that, oh, 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 no. Bad news and control. So, hey, what's your favorite uh, Jim Brunzel match? Oh my God, there's so many. 
Well, just give me one. Uh, Bobby Heenan. All right. Absolutely, man. He and Bobby Heenan had some great matches. Brunzel was the man, dude. And and Jim, here's where Jim Brunzel got the bad rap for. I don't even know if it's a bad rap. It just kind of got a rap for being Greg Gagne's partner. And Greg Gagne got a bad rap for the push he got because he was the promoter's son. Greg Gagne was a great worker. I mean, he could go. He was just a lot smaller than everybody else. And Vern pushed him. And then they put him with uh, Brunzel as the tag team partner. And they painted Brunzel with that same brush. But Jim could go. Jim had a nice run in the Carolinas as well as a single competitor. Brown working him over in the corner. Outlaw Ron Bass, a guy we haven't talked about a lot here on the show, just a little bit here and there. I think most people remember him most for the angle he did with Brutus Beefcake. You got any good uh, Outlaw Ron Bass stories you can share with us? Ron Bass was just that straight shooting, old time, and, and I believe he was a cowboy. You know, he had a, a spot there in Florida. He had some horses on there, some cows, and he liked he liked the cowboy. He being Ron Bass, and he was the real deal. So, uh, just a double tough son of a gun, but he was a journeyman. Kept to himself. Liked to sit corner with Andre and play cribbage. And nicest guy in the world, man. Super, just super nice guy. And then, of course, Sam Houston, the son of Grizzly Smith, brother of Rockin' Robin and Aurelian Smith Jr., otherwise known as Jake the Snake Roberts. And he's getting his ass whooped by Bad News Brown. What? I thought he had him that time. Uh, Tell us what you're doing for the company at this point here in November of 1988, producing the television shows, producing the syndicated television shows, uh, superstars and wrestling challenge that people would see on Saturday and Sunday mornings all around the country. Um, I would put those together. I'd work with them after they were shot, produce all the voiceovers for those and, Make sure they got out where they needed to go. I was also, at this time, I was doing Brother Love, and I think I was still producing Primetime during this run here. I don't think I stopped producing Primetime until uh, after Jesse left. What, uh, are, you're living in Connecticut at this point? Living in Stanford, Connecticut, right across from Mr. Donut and John's Pizza. On right at the point. Anybody that knows downtown Stanford knows that little point there where Mr. Donut and John's Pizza comes together. I lived right across the street there. So I'm I'm doing all of the production during the pay-per-views. Um, this time I was probably running Gorilla. So I was the one doing the uh, timing and... Whenever it was a pay-per-view, I would also... Pay-per-views were the only time that we, quote, had run sheets and, and scripts, if you will, where we had everything laid out and typed out in advance. 
Bad news. Taking a hike here. Talk me through the, uh, the way these matches would be booked where you've got this many guys and, you know, obviously they've got some sort of an idea on time, but this is before IFBs, right? I don't think the referees are wearing earpieces. No, they're not. They have a timekeeper at ringside that's, uh, getting times and they look, that's all they had was the timekeeper and you had a referee on the outside. So the referee on the outside could actually walk over, get the time and let everybody know without that delay, uh, of any kind. So it was, it was pretty easy at that point, but there were rules. There were no saves in a lot of these early matches, which is, you know, you're in a tag team match. And the first thing that most guys do on a cover is they want to come in for the save. Sure. And so we had a rule, no saves. I think we had that by the survivor series. Yeah. So the baby faces didn't come in, but it was to try and keep the matches clean and not a hodgepodge because otherwise every friggin' finish is going to be a save and it's just going to be the same shit over and over and over again. Still going to be the same shit over and over and over again, because you got teams of five strive to survive. Ron Bass is just whipping the crap out of Sam Houston right now. That's cowboy on cowboy violence. So, you know, the only thing that's probably discussed in the back at this point in 88 is, uh, who's beating who and in what order. That's it. You guys don't really care about finishes for a match like this. Right. I mean, we maybe the last one, but we probably went over the finishes. Yeah. Um, just to protect certain guys and know what they were doing so that nothing was being repeated. But it wasn't all this stuff, man. We left the matches up to the guys to go out and perform and do what they needed to do to hold the audience. But they had the finishes and, um, that was about it. We, we would watch, <laughs> you know, we would watch, figure out what the hell they were going to do. Just like everybody else. What did, uh, Valentine and hockey think of ultimate wear? Couldn't stand him, especially honky, you know, and honky had to work a program with him and, and honky did as little as he possibly could because it just hurt. You know, you could work an hour with Hogan and come out working an hour. (laughs) Well, I mean, you could be great. You could work 30 seconds with warrior and be banged up for the rest of your life. Which Hogan you, used to work hours. Oh my. Now the blazer, uh, you know, coming in had high hopes, Owen Hart, but Vince didn't want to bring him in just as Owen Hart really felt that this blue blazer gimmick was going to be his mighty mouse during this time. Even back then Vince wanted his mighty mouse. Was that his favorite cartoon as a kid? Not being funny. Had to be. I mean, cause we hear about it all the time. I know. And, and that's, and that is the comparison that he uses so much that I, I just think he loved, he had to have loved mighty mouse growing up. It's the only thing that makes sense.
And you, you forget because you, you go back and look at, I guess, people that they, they think of what the last thing they saw. Um, but God, Greg Valentine was a working son of a bitch, man. And a mean one, but he could bump and he could go. And uh, now he's using that illegal, illegal shin guard put that figure four on Owen Hart. Notice he turns it around illegally. I don't know what's illegal about it, but tell you what happened with you see, you see the, the shin guard Valentine has. Yeah. Okay. Well, he started wearing it and it was a, like a soccer shin guard or a, a motorcycle type shin guard it would ride up right underneath his kneecap. And Greg comes in one day and says, yeah, man, I got a problem. I'm not going to be able to do this gimmick anymore. I said, like, well, what's the problem? I mean, why can't you do the gimmick? Showed us his knee and his knee was about three times its normal size. And what had happened is because of the way that he was wearing the shin guard, it was pushing up on the knee and just moved everything. Oh, so it was, it was ugly. It was bad. So Greg lost the shin guard after that and went back to just being, I broke Wahoo's leg. So we see uh camera guys here roaming around in like the, uh, the jumpsuits, almost like you would wear a coverall if you were a professional painter or something. Why was that the, uh, the look of the day and, and why did you guys move away from it? Well, it was, it was to let them blend in so that they wouldn't stand out. If you got a bunch of guys that are all around the ring, some guys are wearing shorts and some, you know, on a Bart Simpson t-shirt, other guys wearing other shit, it was a uniform and it was a way to just kind of make them indiscreet, let them blend into the crowd a lot better. And you don't see them as much. We never like to see our cameramans. We, we tried to be very conscious about handheld cameras, shooting other handheld cameras, um, and just were very, very conscious as far as the direction of the cameras. So we wanted them to blend in and not be seen. So the, uh, the torch would, uh, have Wade Keller review this match. And he says, overall, it was a really good match, but having the blazer submit is beyond logic in my book. They didn't have to bury him like they did. The match lasted 20 minutes. What are you thinking of this match so far? I mean, the match is good. It's just a lot of it. And that's what we found out, especially after this pay-per-view, after this Survivor Series. You know, the first one you do, it's, woohoo, wow, that was great, man. Wasn't that cool? It was different. It was it was fun. And and then you get to the second one, and you realize, all right, we, we've set up this concept, and we've got to repeat it. It just was a lot of repetition and a lot of sameness, even though we went to great lengths not to have the matches and the moves and the finishes be repetitious. It's just tough to do when you're going to have in, in the period of one night, this match you're going to have five finishes. You got all these guys coming in, Ron Bass and uh, Greg now working on the warrior. 
referee Earl Hebner uh, doing his job. But, uh, man, it's double team. <laughs> Valentine trying to keep Warrior down, and Warrior just won't have it because he doesn't know how to sell. Um, shoot off into the ropes. Double kick down below. Oh, my. Oh, my. No, I didn't. Now, Bass, look at him hammering, hammering on the warrior. Oh, my, those big blows all the way deep down from Texas. That's right. Yeah. How would you describe the warrior's uh, look here? Like the warrior? <laughs> uh, shit, I don't know. He's, he's a warrior. It's, it's the way he always looked. Colorful. How would you describe it? Native American gimmick. I don't see that at all. I mean, I think Ric Flair was a Native American gimmick. Why is that? Well, he called himself the nature boy. He, uh, he would chop people. He would go woo, 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 and then do a little dance. Huh. You know what? Maybe it was. And he always had feathers on his robes. Yeah. Had feathers on his robes. Too. Oh, he did yeah. have feathers on his robes. There you go. Yeah, exactly. That could be. I mean, he hung out with Wahoo a lot. Yes. A lot, a lot. Yeah. And Wahoo may have been the greatest uh, Native American athlete in general ever no i mean that's definitely ultimate warrior and there he is ultimate warrior getting the hand raised with yellow eyebrows place is going banana yeah by the way i'm an idiot uh, of all the Native American gimmicks you worked with in the WWF, which did you prefer, Tataka or the Ultimate Warrior? Well, Ultimate Warrior is not a Native American gimmick. Um, Definitely is. Talks to his hands about the gods and. No. Not seeing it. Not buying it. You're selling it. Hang but on. I ain't hang, on it. hang on. What What was the difference between him and Tataka? I'm asking a real question. Tatanka was a Lumbee Indian. Oh, so you have to be Indian in order to do an Indian gimmick? Yes, like Chief J. Strongbow. <laughs> or Billy White Wolf. I didn't realize. So is the Undertaker, I mean, he had to be dead. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I understand. Okay. So, I mean, hypothetically, if, if the Ultimate Warrior went, yeah, 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 yeah. Not, not if, he, if he was a Lumbee Indian, maybe. Did you ever see uh, any of the interviews at the ultimate warriors house with all the, uh, his entire house is decorated in Indian stuff. Okay. I've, I was just mentioning that. Just wanted you to know. Okay. I've never been to his house. So, but you've, you, you watch the WB network for only nine ninety nine a month, right? I do, but I don't watch ultimate warrior stuff. Well, I'm excited about this one. Are you ready? <laughs> yes, for this? you are. <laughs> We're running through the, uh, the 10 tag teams that are in this next match. You heard me. 
There are 10 tag teams in this next match. 10. Teams of five strive to survive. Is it, is it 10 or eight? I think it's 10 folks. I mean, 10 teams, you know, so you got 10 on each side. Cause I think what they did is they showed like a captain team. And then that graphic had the other four. Here comes demolition. Uh, My favorite tag team as a kid. And it wasn't close. I was a fan of demolition and the Steiner brothers. How weird was I? Why would that be weird? I don't know. Two great tag teams. Most of my friends are like, I like the rock and roll express, or I like the midnight express, or I like the road warriors. or I like the heart foundation. I'm like, nah, demolition and the Steiners, man. And then two other teams that I don't give a shit about the conquistadors and the Bolsheviks. All right, folks, we're going to have you tune in to 2348. Uh, Bruce is old and, uh, hit a button. So now we're back at you 23 minutes, 48 seconds, and we're going to press play in three, two, one play. So there you go. The, uh, the real tag team, the brain busters coming in and fabulous Rougeau's. Uh, let me just tell you, it just dawned on me in the last year that the little baby American flags were a rib, like a way to get heat. Yeah, it was a way to get it, heat. It never yeah. even computed to me. Heat seekers were real American boys. But with real tiny American flags. boys. We're so patriotic with our baby flags. Yes. It's great. Yeah, it was wonderful. It was lost and, on me as a kid. Oh, you just thought, did you think that they were real Americans? No. I, I knew they were assholes, but I didn't know that the baby flag was a way to cement them as assholes. By the way, can you imagine going through real life with haircuts like these? Nice. Well, Warlord at least colored his <laughs> so Warlord. that it didn't stand out as much. Here comes Paul Roma, one of the more underrated performers. Gets and Jim rate. Powers. Nah, nobody likes Jim Powers. Everybody loves Jim. And there he is. The best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be with Jim Neidhart. And wouldn't you know it, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty on the same tag team. And here you come better. the British Bulldogs. Man, this is, look at the hall of fame level talent in the ring here. And it's just a crowded ring of people. And now what's going to make it even worse is we're going to just stick them all on the outside so that you can't see in with your hard camera shot. Uh, it's unbelievable. The demolition, Arn and Tully, the rockers, the heart foundation, the bulldogs, are you kidding? Powers pain. Shut up. What? The Rougeos. No. Hey, and the Rougeos were one of the best tag teams ever. You oh. got to admit that. No, I don't have to admit that. I'm not going to yeah, admit you. that. You got to admit that. They I don't work. have to admit that. You do. Look at this collection of heel managers. Jimmy Hart, Mr. Fuji, and Bobby the Brain. Yeah, one of them's got a tiki. Well, no, I won't say the rest of it. What? It's sad. No, I I just was looking and it was sad because Bobby and Fuji are no longer with us. Yeah. I was going to make a joke about Jimmy Hart's tiki hut. um, Listen, if you're going to get it right, then you need to get it right. 
It's Jimmy Hart's world famous bar and tiki deck. You keep saying he's got a tiki bar or a tiki hut. He doesn't. He has a tiki deck. You know what else he has? The NFL Sunday ticket. So if your favorite team is not playing in your hometown, maybe it's blacked out and say Houston, just jump in your car, a short little 18 hour ride. Boom. You're at Jimmy Hart's world famous bar and tiki deck. And you get to watch the Houston game without the blackout. And you know what else you can enjoy? Beer and Beer cans. cans. They don't have glass, baby, because it's right on the water, baby. Now, here's what we're talking about. If you break that glass right on the bottle, baby, or you break that bottle right on the beach, baby, people are going to get the glass in their feet. So they don't have draft beer because they don't want any glass in your feet. Instead, they got beer and cans, baby. You know it. And they got beans and taters on special this weekend. So if you're in the area, tired of Thanksgiving, go ahead, get you some beans and taters. Do you know Zach Ryder went there the other day? I bet he did. I bet he had some beer in a can too. We had hyped it up here enough. There's no chance Zach Ryder drinks beer in a can. Oh yeah. No. Yeah, he will. No, he, he's probably more like a, uh, chilled vodka shot or I need a vodka cranberry or give me a Patron chilled. No, 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 no. He's a PBR. No, there's no the chance. No, you're thinking old school. Zach Ryder's That's worried why I'm about thinking Zach Ryder is going to have a PBR in a can. No, Zach Ryder's counting abs. So he's counting cars. Okay. Natural light. That's a horrible decision. We had to drink it for a while when we were looking for a sponsor for Austin. They were interested in it. So, you know, uh, there's rumor and innuendo that there is a certain beer company interested in something to wrestle. Well, by God, then. Ah, won't be long now. We know how to, uh, take care of beer. You just kind of drink it responsibly and you're good. And now Tully Blanchard and who is that? Marty Janetti. The matches between the brain busters and the rockers, the brain busters and, um, demolition. Some of the best damn matches you ever want to see. How fucking underrated was Tully Blanchard. Very much so. You know why? Because Tully was such an asshole. And uh, I saw Tully a year ago at Russell Cade, and he was nice as could be. And that was nice to see. And uh, we had a really nice chat. But, man, I think Tully Blanchard in the ring, very, very few people could touch him. And he was able to use his heat-seeking personality in real life to transform that into the ring and put butts in seats. Really? Yes. Tully's hell of a talent. Tully was a hell of a talent. Now you got the bulldog in there with Jacques Rougeau, who had knocked his teeth out not too far uh, before this. This, I believe, was the bulldog's last last match in the WWF. I, I wanted to mention... Um... This is uh 13,500 fans on hand here in Richfield, Ohio. And the show does a 2.82 buy rate. What do you remember the expectations for a show like this being, you know, this is really only the second one. Uh, it is a relatively new concept for you guys. Pay-per-view is still very much in its infancy and you're running it on Thanksgiving night. Chat me up. 
you really had no expectations as far as numbers because so much of that was new. We, we were all about dollars and cents. However, in 1988, you have to understand there's still what was a was not a large pay-per-view universe. Um, they were it was out there and it was more than there was in 1987. But by 1988, you know, you still have companies coming on and still are uh, not able to advertise, not not able to advertise, not able to deliver the pay-per-views. Uh, and people had to go to still had to go to closed circuit and it was and or wait for the videotape to come out. So it was it was a universe that was growing every week. You obviously thought that uh, you're going to do more because every single time you did a pay-per-view, which was only this was now we were at three um, WrestleMania, SummerSlam and Survivor Series that you figured it was going to be more just because there were more addressable homes each time you did it. What, uh, I mean, some of these guys are old school wrestling guys and wrestling on Thanksgiving night in different parts of the country had some traditions and, and some, I guess, weren't running, but historically, this is one of the biggest weekends for wrestling of the year, right? Everywhere except New York, uh, in the New York territory, they never took, they never, uh, ran Thanksgiving or Christmas. And traditionally, as you just said, everywhere else in the country, Thanksgiving night, Christmas day, those, the only one you didn't run was Christmas Eve. I mean, uh, New Year's Eve, but Christmas night and Thanksgiving night, huge business. Those were the big weekends for, for almost every other territory in the country. Why do you, um, why do you think? New York just stayed away from the concept when everybody else was doing it. I think because of family and there was a feeling that people, especially in New York where it was, that's where they were based. So the, the family gets together and they stay together all night long and, and, and all day long. Vince didn't feel that people would want to leave their homes to, to go out and, and do something else. And, go pay and go see a live event. And obviously they were live events then, but, um, when pay-per-view came along, it was, and Vince, here's the other thing. Vince's favorite holiday, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. So he liked to stay at home. He liked to have his Thanksgiving at home and be there with the family and chill out. So it was, it was something that, that he didn't want to be out working, which, it's funny now when you think about it, because if there's an opportunity to work, he's working. Bret Hart working over demolition axe axe is balding a little bit in the back. Uh, you've talked a lot about the links that you guys would go to, to make Hogan look less bald. Was there ever any concern about any other balding axe? Well, he was a heel, so fuck it. We don't care if he's bald. Heels, heels can have bald spots. No, I think once Vince realized uh, how much it cost and how much 
time and effort it took. And the best the best thing was that Saturday night's main event with Hulk and me telling Vince, I said, well, Vince, we're still editing the goddamn match because we, we can't show Hulk bald. What do you mean? And bring it over to him. And he looks at me and goes, he looks like a drenched rat. He is fucking bald. And we didn't have to worry about covering up his uh, top of his head anymore. You mentioned earlier that uh, you thought this was the Bulldogs' last match in the WWE. It is indeed their last pay per view, uh, and a lot of that we've talked about on the store on the show here before because of the whole situation with the Rougeaus. Did you guys have an idea at this point? Hey, man, this is coming to a head. Well, we knew they were done at this point. I mean, they had already given their notice and they were gone, so. Um, it was foregone conclusion. So it was, they were fulfilling their dates and they were working through to leave. They wanted to go back to Japan and they were working for Calgary for Stu. And we knew, you know, it's, I think that a a part of them felt, what are we going to do with the powers of pain here? What are we going to do with all these guys? Um, they wanted out. They'd been there a long time and it was time for a change. And do you know which conquistador that is right there? That's either one or two. That is numero uno. And, and who was uh, portraying numero uno here? That would be Johnny Rods. And who is number two here? Jose Luis Rivera. Johnny Rods is a guy we haven't talked about a lot here, but, um, WWE hall of famer. He is, you know, Johnny Rods was one of those unsung heroes that whenever you would come in an outsider, for example, Gino Hernandez, when Gino came in first time in Madison square garden, the guy you had to work with was Johnny Rods, Kevin Von Eric, first time Madison square garden guy you got to work with Johnny Rods. Um, whenever the old man would bring in these outside big name talents, he would usually put them in the ring with a guy like Johnny rods to give them a good match and give them the spotlight. They get a win and the New York crowd is happy because they beat the proverbial bad guy in Johnny rods, but, but rods could go, man. He could work. He was a tough guy. He had gone to California to get his big break as a, uh, chic gimmick is Java Rook in the seventies. And that didn't last very well. He won the big annual battle Royal in Los Angeles for Michael Bell and then wanted to go home. So I hear, but he was a tough guy. Let's talk about, uh, I mean, he's not in the match here. But since we're talking about Hall of Fame, I think a lot of people, when they think of Hall of Fame, they don't necessarily think of Johnny Rods, but he, he definitely influenced a lot of people and, and trained a lot of great professional wrestlers and has, has been a star for the company in many other ways. And one of those guys who a lot of people don't get, and you have unique perspective on this, is James Dudley and the inclusion of him in the WWE hall of fame. 
you and I've talked about this off air, but I don't think you've ever went in great detail here on the show. Why is James Dudley in the hall of fame? And why are you a proponent of that? James Dudley is in the hall of fame because James Dudley was Vince McMahon seniors, right-hand man. James Dudley, uh, was one of the top players in the Negro league back in the day for baseball. Um, he traveled, traveled the world and was a hell of an athlete, but he also helped Vince senior run the shows in Washington, DC. He made sure that nobody messed with Vince senior. He managed Bobo Brazil and was able to help get the, the black audience to accept wrestling and, and help them, you know, let them know that, Hey, come on, this, this is for you too. He was very instrumental in that, but he was, uh, very good to Vince McMahon senior, obviously, uh, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, but he, he was that guy. He was influential. If it wasn't for James Dudley bridging that gap in a lot of places like Baltimore and, and Washington DC, then the WWWF may not have succeeded the way that it did to become what it is today. So he was very instrumental in that. He got buildings, he ran buildings, and he was he was the man. They called him Bad Bad Leroy Brown. <laughs> That's a shoot, man. You didn't fuck with James Dudley. You did not fuck with James Dudley. And James Dudley was the only guy. James could come in in Baltimore, sit in Vince's office all day, eat all Vince's food, and talk to Vince, and Vince would sit in there and chat with him. But when Vince would have meetings with other people, he didn't never ask James to leave. James would just sit there and listen to everything. And then the guys would leave, and James would offer a little bit of advice to Vince, whether he wanted it, solicited it, or not. It made James feel apart, and that that was the respect that Vince had for James Dudley. Wonderful, wonderful human being. So yeah, he believes, I believe he should be in there. And, and to Johnny Rods, for the guys, the big names that are in the Hall of Fame, well, I guarantee you along the way, Johnny Rods helped make those son of a bitches and, and, and got them, made them look good so that they could have that main event Hall of Fame career. Nice little pinning combination there. Big Jim Nelson. Maybe, hey, you think we'll see Big Jim Nelson this weekend at WrestleCade? Morzukov. I, I he's like, uh, well, he's a he's a North Kakalaki boy, and again, one of the nicest guys in the whole wide world. That got a great break because when he shaved his head, he looked like a Russian, and he's got a deep voice. So, is he at WrestleCade? I don't know if he is or not. I just uh, he's, I've seen him there before, so you never know. Who's your favorite Russian performer? Uh, Ivan Koloff. Hmm. Far none. The best. I think a lot of younger people would say Nikita Koloff. That's because they never saw Ivan in his prime. Ivan Koloff could go into any territory anywhere in the world and get over in three weeks. 
and have and have the business you know, have have business up selling out and have people coming over the railing want to kill him he was excellent nikolai was good and nikolai uh i'd say nikolai did that in the mid south but it was during the time of the the russian planes and everything so he was a heel we're going to see uh, an interesting situation here towards the end. Uh, Mr. Fuji is obviously with demolition, but we're going to see something interesting happen towards the end of the match here. It really is incredible that you guys liked this idea of 10 tag teams, because as you said, it's really hard to shoot and see what's going on. Cause you just got this mass of humanity but it forced you to use a different type of camera shot, which I actually kind of dig here. I like this look, but it, it, it is sort of nonsensical that there's no saves when there's legitimately 20 dudes standing around. But it also makes it a lot easier to watch because when you have no saves, it, no, I, a discipline. I, I, I'm not arguing that at all, but it does make it challenging to run the ropes when you got motherfuckers just lining up the ropes. I can no really shit. Yeah, and and it's just who the hell do you tag? And right, you know, right there <laughs> in the corner, and Arn's getting out of the way on one side. Marty's coming in. It's just a hodgepodge, and it came from the the original teams of five strive to survive concept of we got to have five. You know, we got to have five teams. Got to have five guys on each side. Got to have no. You don't got to. You can change shit. You can make things different. But we lived by that, the self-imposed rules. Got to have five. Right. Can I just tell you that uh, I love that we do this? You can. You know what I love about this match right here is I love watching Dave Hebner just get blown up. Not Earl. Just be blown up beyond belief <laughs> running him all over the place in the ring I'm and just, Timmy White's just meandering outside like where else though before the WWE network I feel so fortunate that that exists I mean how else would we as a group not just me and you but there are hundreds of thousands of our listeners who are watching along with us here where else could, I mean, there's no other, like this doesn't exist in other forms of entertainment, really. So basically what you're saying is, is that like more people are watching this today with us during our commentary than probably watched it that day. I didn't think about that, but yeah, yeah, you know. But it is, that's, that's We're probably loving the mortgage guy to bullshit through. Yeah. I didn't think about that, but you're exactly right. But it, it is interesting to me though, that, you know, when, and it really dawned on me when he said it was just a concept with these self-imposed rules. And, you know, when they got that unique sort of over the shoulder shot, by the way, when you saw the way he took the bump, you didn't have to guess is that which bulldog is that? That's dynamite, isn't it? I love that you're not sure. No, it's bull. No, it's uh, Davy. At this point, Dynamite can't really move like that, right? He's hurting. 
He is hurting, but he was still trying to go. He was still trying to prove to everybody that there was nothing wrong with him. Oh, I see. Well, anyway, I was just, I was just saying, you know, this is something you guys just sort of threw together and you just tried and you know, Hey, maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. And now you can look back and say, ah, this was kind of a bad idea, but it was such a big event at the time. You guys only had four pay-per-views. It's not like, you know, but there's 15 pay-per-views a year, like now or 20 or whatever it is. There's only four. And at this point, yeah, I mean, there's only four. This is a major event on the, one of the historical biggest nights of the year for professional wrestling. And you just tried something and now we're watching it together with hundreds of thousands of people. It's just really, really fun to me because without the WWE network, this wouldn't be possible. They're not doing this for like old Alabama, Auburn games. They're not doing this for old cowboy Redskin games. You can go back and relive history and it's absolutely amazing. And it's amazing to me to sit there and go, you know, you watch this match. This is not a bad match. No, they're doing some good shit. It's just too many people too fucking long and no story. Your story is, uh, powers of pain and demolition and then Tully and Tully and Arn and maybe the hearts, but other and, and the rockers, but other than that, there's no story. Dynamite up to the second rope knee halfway across the ring. Yeah. He's still trying to let everybody know he can still go and he can still do certain things, but I think he was hurting and he was definitely miserable during this time without his teeth and not a good time for, for dynamite kid. Now that clothesline will fucking take you down from barbarian. The conquistador here. I don't just based on the way Barb and, um, dynamite are working with him. It makes me think he's uh he's a little loopy here. <laughs> Either that, or he is like blown up sky high. I don't know. Uh, looks like he probably got whacked in the head there at some point. Uh, yeah. He's just, just <laughs> he's not with it. And, uh, totally Blanchard in here to, and by the way, let me just tell you, I, I did not appreciate Tully Blanchard when I was younger, but now that I, you know, watch wrestling a little differently, I really enjoy the little stuff that he does like immediately getting in cowering over in the corner to pretend to counsel with Bobby Hain and hiding behind the ref, sneaking in a shot and then immediately tagging out. Like that's good chicken shit heel stuff. I love it. Well, Tully understood that he wasn't 10 feet tall and Tully understood how to work like a smaller heel and was able to get heat that way. Tully didn't want you to go out there and and say he was a tough guy and all this other crap. He was going to say he was a smarter guy and he was going to beat you any way that he could. That was the difference. And that was the way that made Tully exactly what you just said, man. He, he, he would cower and he would sucker him in and he would gain the advantage. He was just that fucking good. I didn't like Tully either, but that's because I had to work with him. But uh, I grew to respect him and his work. You can't, there's nothing bad you can say about Tully's work in the ring. Ah, Tommy Young. 
What are you doing? I went, ah, <laughs> Tommy Young. I just was having a barbarian moment. He told the real story at Starcast, by the way. And it was exactly what, what we sort of joked about. Yeah. Well, it's amazing to me that that's a real thing. Why is, why does that amaze you? It's a barbarian. He's from Barbaria. I don't know. It just does. From the, from the Isle of Barbaria comes the barbarian. Aren't you and I going to Europa? Yes. And we're going to see, uh, maybe the European champion. I hope so. Yeah. And you know, that we'll go swimming in, in the Liverpool. I don't know that that even sounds like something I'd want to do. Yes. No, you got to go swimming in the Liverpool in England. It, it is going to be weird for a few days trying to remember not to call it Birmingham since I'm from Alabama. Oh boy. Yeah. Hey everybody. <laughs> I like, I like Birmingham. <laughs> you know, what's funny as we're watching Arn Anderson and put on a clinic here with Marty Gennetti. Um, I've, I've just recently realized I'm the Forrest Gump of professional wrestling. Yeah. Like I fucking signing. I have no reason to be involved in wrestling. I'm not really, but I've got these podcasts and there's no reason that I should have been able to do all of the fun stuff I've been able to do the last few years. I'm just in the right place at the right time from Greenbow, Alabama. I found my Jenny and the whole deal. Like who would have thought, I mean, I'm not going running. We know that. Run Forrest, run. It's like podcast, Conrad podcast. I just started podcasting. Yeah. Well, look at you now. And instead of, uh, Dr. Pepper, it's Miller light. Well, upgrade. It's less filling. Tastes great. Less filling. So, uh, Bret Hart, Tully Blanchard. And he, and Hebner counted to 38 there and well, Brett gets, s- nope. Not Brett gets oh, the pin. Tully gets the pin. How about no, that? Brett's shoulders are down, man. Brett got screwed again. Brett, you screwed Brett. That's right. Oh my gosh. Dynamite comes Survivor in and just. Survivor Series is not a good pay per view for Bret Hart. <laughs> what? I don't know. You're just a dick. It's just a double pin there. What? He didn't get his shoulders up. How about Dynamite came in and just picked Tully up and just coldly put him in a uh, tombstone pile driver just randomly? It felt like he was a uh, steward for Mad TV. Look what I can do. Look yeah, what I can do. there's no reason to, but I'll do it anyway. Look what I can do. See, now we get our one, four way. See, if you had this all the time, you wouldn't be able to control this match, but now you got a melee going on. I think they're going to have to just throw this thing out. Just, just throw these guys out of there. Eliminate all of them. If you can't control them, these motherfuckers here. I do want to mention that, uh, there's a lot of news and notes about the company at this time. Um, let's run through some of them. 
This is all from the torch. The British Bulldogs are now done in the WWF, as are Don Morocco and the Junkyard Dog. The Bulldogs babyface position will be taken by the Sheep Herders. Well, now they are called the Bushwhackers and will be babyfaces. The Bulldogs are now in Calgary Stampede and will soon tour Japan for the first time in many years. Morocco will work as a heel in Calgary and JYD will work as a face. So was there like a, uh, I mean, all of these guys are going to Calgary. Was this a, a decision as a group? It may have been on their end. I think that it was a place to go and it was some place that they could go and get work immediately. Uh, they'd all been there before. So they were all names that had worked in Calgary before JYD and Morocco. Neither one of those guys stayed there very long. I think Don was just, just there long enough to get to Hawaii. Pat Patterson there, uh, just briefly made a cameo. At a pace, get in the back of you two. At a pace, chase, chase. So, so why Calgary? Because because of Stu Hart, because it was probably one of the last bastions of territories to go to. What was the relationship like with Vince and Stu at this point? Great. They they always had a good relationship, and Vince was always happy to help Stu out in any way that he could. So it wasn't a adversarial one at all. JYD leaving here, his decision or Vince's? I think it was mutual. You know, dog felt that he had done everything that he was going to do. He had put on a lot of weight. Dog wanted to kind of go away and get in shape as well. But Vince thought that, you know, they had done what they could do and dog kind of felt the same way. He thought, well, maybe if I go back down South and I go to Jim Crockett, we can renew what they used to have, you know, when he was in mid South with Bill Watts, um, dog did great in New York and, and he was a big star, but it was at that time, just not working. He had slowed down a lot and was not in the best shape and he was unhappy. So let him leave. Down to four tag teams here. We've got the Conquistadors still tagging with Demolition. On the other side, it's uh, the British Bulldogs and the Powers of Pain. Uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, Don Morocco. We haven't talked about him a ton here on the show. The original Rock. Um, he's been around the company a long time. Why is he out here? Don wanted rest. Don wanted out of the business best of my recollection during this time. I'll never forget the first time that I did brother love and Vince saying to Morocco, God damn it, pal. I had this gimmick for you. Um, I'm thinking, wait a minute. It's my gimmick. Uh, so Don, Don left shortly after he was just tired. He was tired of beating up his body, tired of being up and down the road, wanted to go back to Hawaii. So that was, that's what he did. And Vince left the door open for him. Anytime he wanted to come back. So, uh, we should also mention some more notes here from the torch. The blue blazer went into the WWF with high expectations, both by himself and from the quote unquote public. When the big guys come in, Titan told him not to use any or most of his flashy moves. And he was a little dejected for some reason, the Whiff decided early that the blue blazer would not get over, or at least he wasn't part of the future plans. Now the blazer is cleanly submitting on national events. 
He must have done something wrong somewhere, and I don't know if it's his fault, but any future stardom in the WWF for Owen Hart is not under a blue blazer mask. And that's uh, Wade Keller's opinion. What say you? Well, Owen came in, and first thing that happened, he was injured and was off for a while. So we did a start and stop with the blue blazer that it really just wasn't it wasn't getting over. There was a hesitation in, in his step. And I think that when the mask was put on Owen Hart, you took away, I don't know, the, the, the young Owen Hart at that time that everybody was raving about was this young kid that was stealing the show in Germany and Japan and people, there was just something about him. You wanted to help him. You put the mask on him. And all of a sudden, I think it took away his personality. That's my opinion. But he got hurt and was was working about a half step behind. That didn't help things either. So we wanted him to take some time, go away, and come back as Owen Hart. He got hurt on this pay-per-view, too. Um, he took a, uh, a leapfrog spot here against Valentine, and yep. Valentine's head hits Owen in the testicles. And the next morning, one of them is swollen up to the size of a softball. He's going to be out a month with, uh, elephantitis of the balls here. That's, I mean, you, surely you guys aren't mad at that. I mean, obviously, you, you know, nobody wants to get the rep of being injury prone, but when a dude's nut is the size of a softball, uh, Hey, go take care of that. Exactly. And he certainly couldn't work and it wasn't his fault. It was just a freak accident that took place in the middle of the match. So it was, that's, but still you got to start and stop. And that didn't help the blue blazer character at all. Plus I just was, I, for me, I just was never a big fan of the blue blazer. I, I thought, I just thought Owen Hart had more cachet and Vince didn't want to bring him in as a heart because he already had the heart foundation. I do want to mention, um, earlier in this match, you know, when we had Arn and Tully in here, this is their Titan pay-per-view debut. You know, I think most people think about them and their SummerSlam match, but that was 89. This is 88. Well, what can you, uh, remember about the way those guys were talking about working here versus working for Jim Crockett promotions, especially when it came to these big events with the big production budgets. I think they were blown away because it was a lot different than where they had come from. They were also just looking at it as here's a, you know, another opportunity to work and make more money. The, you know, the end of the day, all the shit happened and they left, but it was, at this time, this was their opportunity to come in and make a splash, make some money. And it was, I get from their own, from their own mouths. It was a, it was a big difference. The production value and the production, everything that went into our shows. You got to remember back in the day for Crockett or, uh, or Bill Watts or anybody like that to have catering and have anything for you. Uh, you spend all day at a building that shit was unheard of. That didn't happen. You came up, 
to New York. You came to Titan and there's these big spreads backstage to feed everybody. And you've got, you're working in nice buildings. It's a, it's a big change. It's a big difference. No doubt about it. Uh, I do want to mention, we, we talked about Don Morocco a minute ago. He was allegedly supposed to be in the very first match on beefcakes team. Uh, but when he winds up leaving the company shortly before he's replaced by Jim Brunzel. So that explains why Jim Brunzel was in there. Yeah. Well, Donnie, by that point, I'm sure it was probably on a beach in Waikiki. I don't think he had much care in the world. Shaka bra. How much do you think steroids hindered his career? You know, I think that the guys early on that used them, it, there were those that did it and cycled it and did it with a doctor. I don't know. I think that uh, Morocco was one of those guys that just, um, first of all, he was a big guy just in general. But um, I don't know. I really don't know. I, I don't know if Donnie was hurting a lot and just wanted to felt like he was breaking down, wanted to get away, which a lot of guys do. Um, you have to ask him on that one. See demolition here working over the powers of pain warlord on the business end of ax and smash chat me up here about, uh, Brett and Sean. I believe this is the only pay-per-view where those guys were on the same team. And, uh, we're pretty early into the rockers tenure here with the company heart foundation has been around a few years at this point, at this point, what's the Brett and Sean relationship like? As far as I know, they're friends. They're hanging out together in the bars and having drinks together and things like that. I don't know if they're traveling together to that extent, but they were friendly. They There was no heat or anything that would draw attention that people might say, oh, my God, there's something there. It was nothing. There were just two guys in their spot in the car doing what they got to do. How would you categorize the relationship between the Bulldogs and the Rougeos here? The, the whole incident was about two months prior to this, uh, the incident, by the way, if you haven't listened to everything in the archives, which you should over at something wrestle.com Jacques Rougeau allegedly quote unquote sucker punched dynamite kid with a roll of quarters. And, uh, he did this after what most would agree was seemingly endless abuse, uh, from dynamite chat me up here. Two months later, how would you categorize the relationship? Business and strictly business. There, there was no friend friendliness or anything there. It was just, it was a business relationship and that was it. They were going to do what they had to do and move on. And of course here you saw Mr. Fuji pull the rope down so that Barry Darso would take a nasty bump out. But I loved how they asked for a timeout because my God, there are no timeouts in professional wrestling. So there you go. Fuji trying to defend his actions to ax, not liking it. And he attacks ax once with a cane, twice with a cane. Now, three times little shove from ax turns his back and wham nails him with the cane. 
And Fuji will uh, swing that damn game <laughs> to there, by God. He wasn't afraid to to lay him in. And people look at Mr. Fuji in, in this time and go, oh, my God, how did he ever do anything? Man, Fuji used to move and fly. Fuji was one of those original high flyers back in the day. God, what an athlete he was. And he could he could go, but he's one of those island boys from Hawaii that uh, – he could definitely go. So now the uh, powers of pain are going to pick up Fuji, dust him off. Oh, poor Mr. Fuji. And of course the announcers are putting over that, Hey, there's gotta be something going on here. And Wade Keller, you know, would even say that this was well done. He really enjoyed this. He says, the arena fans didn't know that Fuji was supposed to be the heel and cheered a bit. The pay-per-view viewers knew because the announcer set it up beautifully. Demolition then ran to the ring, back to the ring and cleared the ring of the powers. And this was a great angle that came out of nowhere. And, uh, yeah. Well, it was, it was the double turn. It was taking Fuji and just moving Fuji. They felt that the powers of pain needed a, a new mouthpiece and they needed someone that a mouthpiece that was going to give them heat. We just had guys in the, in the wrong roles with the powers of pain being the baby faces, the audience wasn't buying it and demolition being the heels. They had been there so long at that point, the audience respected them and liked them. They looked cool. So the powers of pain coming in, they were demolition ripoffs. Now put him with Mr. Fuji and you've got a reason to boo him. So briefly, uh, the Baron was with the powers of pain and now Fuji, of course the Baron is done here. Uh, here comes demolition to, uh, set up their feud with the powers of pain. Why was the Baron out and why was Fuji in? The Baron was out because it was just really not working. They weren't getting the kind of reaction we we're looking for, but also, uh, Jim Rashke, Baron Von Rashke, had not been on the road, especially this way in a long time, and Rashke was not happy on the road, and he wanted to get off. He was happy doing TVs and pay-per-views and things like that, but they needed the whole package to be out on the road for house shows, and he wasn't able to do that. So just to catch you up at home, we're one hour, nine minutes and six seconds, seven seconds, eight seconds. Just making sure you're on track with us and demolition. Now baby faces. And you know what? That makes sense because they had a cool look, you know, fans love the face paint. They love the leather stuff. They had badass music made sense to me. Even when I was a kid, I loved the, uh, demolition action figures came a little masks and whatnot. You got a lot. Yeah. The little removable masks and everything and that were, it wasn't until I was older that I realized, wait a minute, these guys were sex freaks. Oh, hell. And how old was it when you, when you said that about 16, uh, probably around the same time I saw Pulp Fiction. They never wore ball gags. Well, but they had a guy with all leather and you know, the gimp with the zipper mask. And I was like, oh God, that's demolition this whole time. I knew nothing about this. 
So you can only imagine what demolition was doing in their basement. No, I, now that I'm an adult, I understand that these guys in real life were a couple of lamos. They didn't have anybody chained up and dripping wax. They were drinking beer and wearing Hawaiian shirts. Nothing, Nothing wrong with that. I was going to say, that's like Bruce Pritchard's standard fare. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Hey, looks- you shit talking, drinking beer and Hawaiian shirts. Hey. That's fucked up. Dave, Dave, Dave. Motherfuckers. Some interesting little fun facts about uh, this show. Bad News Brown is probably the worst Survivor Series partner in history. He walked out on his teams in consecutive years. Bastard. So he just eliminated himself by count out back to back. Is that old school bad news? Not wanting to do a job. No, that was his character. He was, he was a loner that he would just walk out on people. He was a shitty partner and he, no, that was, that was to establish his character. Look how different this looks. So we've got Sean Mooney here doing a promo in the back with bad news, Brown and Look at the corners, the bottom left and the bottom right. What's the technology you guys used for this? Because there is definitely a different glow around the guys. It looks way different than today. It's ultimate. Uh, it was the man. It was the premier way to do the green screen, but the ours was a blue screen and it was called ultimate. It was the best of the best. And it was something that we would take on the road. People were very fearful of taking it on the road because you couldn't control the lighting as well. Ultimat and all that stuff is something, if you've got perfect lighting in a television studio, it, it still can be iffy. And as you can see, you can see the edges and different things here, but it still looked pretty damn good for what it was. And especially being on the road, being able to pull this shit off. If you'd like to see it today, it's called Ultimat and it's spelled U-L-T-I-M-A-T-T-E. Uh, it's at blackmagicdesign.com. They have a uh, ultimate 12 where you can take a look at this and sort of see what it looks like. Now, I think you'll be pretty intrigued to see what it looks like today. Yeah, it was, it was beautiful technology and it enabled us to put, you know, put guys wherever the hell we wanted to put them anywhere in the world at any given time and made, made for pretty shit. And here we just got to establish him. Bad News Brown is a loner and he doesn't like partners. He doesn't like anybody. Ultimate 12 is 10 grand. What do you think uh, you guys were paying for Ultimate back then? Oh my God. Uh, I bet you we spent, I bet you we spent over $100,000 in the studio and for the stuff that we were bringing on the road back in the day. $100,000. Well, we had to have, we had to have them for the studios, but you got to understand we did damn near the whole studio where we could put in ultimate. Then we had other that were on the road that we had to set up and with the, so each one of those is a different setup. And then you've got to have the, the computer and everything that goes with it to make it work. So let's, uh, let's hit some other news and notes here. Um, I guess more of an interesting note, the ultimate warrior is going to join Andre, the giant from the prior year as being the only sole survivors so far, we're only two years in, 
Danny Davis is going to break Boris Zukov's record on this show for the quickest elimination in Survivor Series history. Last year, Boris went down in a minute and 42 seconds. Here, Danny Davis was a minute and 13 seconds. Well, and here, Mr. Fuji cuts one of the greatest damn promos you ever wanted to hear. Can't understand a word that he says. But I take my demolition, my power of pain, which he didn't know their names. Warlord, Warlord, chat me up here. The two-tone hair. One patch is one color. Another patch is another color. Can you imagine seeing that motherfucker walk through an airport? Well, imagine if he had hair and or bald, and could you imagine that some bitch coming through an airport? Add that. Yes, that's a scary individual, but he usually wore a little do-rag to cover all that up or a baseball cap. In public. If you will. Demolition, you will listen. I mean, these old school eight. This is so eighties wrestling, is it not? Fucking a, it is. We just we make a mean face at the camera. Ah, ah. And yeah. then the baby faces at the time, like Marty Jannetty promos at this time, where he's just clapping and he's just excited and shrugging his shoulders. We're rocking. We're rolling. It's like what the fuck are you? But it's they're 80, rocking and they're rolling, it's man. Eight, it's 80s wrestling, man. All right, so here we go. We're getting ready for our next match. We got Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Jake the Snake on the big screen here. I want to mention um, there was another change here as well. We talked about JYD leaving. He was originally announced as a member of Jake Roberts' team. And uh, of course, that's not going to happen. He leaves the company the month before. Initially, he was going to be replaced by B. Brian Blair. But then Blair winds up leaving the company in early November, reportedly after disagreeing with a plan for a proposed heel turn. So Scott Casey winds up replacing Brian Blair. Um, I'm sure we're going to talk about Scott Casey here in a minute, but it does. When you just run through the results, you're like, who, why, for what chat me up here. What happened with B Brian Blair? Blair just left. He was unhappy. And look, I don't know. I've heard that story about wanting to turn the bees heel. I'd never heard that. And I didn't hear that at the time. I just heard that the Brian was unhappy with the way they were being used and wanted more. And it was explained to Brian, here's your position in the company. And that's what we have for you right now. So maybe, uh, turning heel might've been discussed at some point. From my vantage point, I had never heard that. And Blair left. He chose to to move on and try something else and left his partner, Jim Brunzel, there. So if you didn't hear that he was leaving because he didn't like the heel turn, what was the reason you were given as to why he was leaving? That he just didn't like where, what they were doing right now, and he felt they weren't doing enough. That was it. I mean, that, that he just wanted to do more and that uh, I guess Vince or Pat told him that they're, you know, there isn't any more for you right now. So Scott Casey, cowboy, Scott Casey. Why at this point, you know, I think that they got to a point where they had all these guys that had left and it was all pretty much all around the same time. And so Vince 
got in one of those moods of if you don't want to be here, you want to leave, go. Go take your release, go. I don't want unhappy people around me. And that was probably some of the contributing factors to Blair, JYD, Morocco, and a lot of those guys said, you know what, I'm, they're not doing anything with me. I want to move on. Let's move on. Timing-wise, when you get stuck, you, you got to use what you got. Scott Casey was there. Terry Taylor's in a damn Survivor Series match. That's how bad it was. Well, I mean, Terry would tell you he was over here. Sure he would. You don't, you don't think Terry would say he was over. I think that Terry, the, the only time that Terry's been over in his career is when he was with the WWF as the red rooster. So yeah, he was over more here than he ever was anywhere else. Well, and you know, you're saying that to sort of shit on him, but the reality no, I'm, is I'm really not, it's I'm what not people still talk about. It's, the, it's what people still talk about. No. And I, and see, that's where I'm not, I, in no way was I saying that to shit on him. I was saying that to, to point out a fact that this was probably the most over he ever was in his career. And I'm, that's just a fact. Snake. Snakes and American flags. Holy cow. Did you ever think you would wind up selling inflatable snakes when you first got in the wrestling business? People are selling pictures and posters <laughs> and programs. And eventually they started selling t-shirts and hats. Fast forward. Goddamn pal. Can we get some inflatable snakes? Let's put them around kids. Can we get the kids to buy snakes? How do we get kids? Let's sell them ice cream too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now you can see with this one, you see the glow around Coco beware that blue ultimate glow and the Glow Randy's it's, um, it feels like they're right out of the movie last dragon and they've got the glow show enough. Ooh. And Frankie's ready. Frankie's ready to fly like the bird man, <laughs> Jimmy Hart. And then my phone rang. It was opportunity. And then it was Hulkster <laughs> on the other end. And then uh, the next day my phone rang and wouldn't, you know, it? it was like a magic phone. It was Hercules Hernandez. And then about a few days after that, my phone rang. It was Coco beware. It was more opportunity. And then my phone rang. What was up with his hall of fame speech? Is that the worst hall of fame speech in the history of hall of fame speeches? No, but it was one of the longest. That's for damn sure. If I ever heard one. Well, let me tell you something, brother. You take a look at the pythons, 24 inches and it, I don't know what the and he's got the uh, Hercules Hernandez chain around his neck. Interesting well, yeah. look for the Hulkster. Absolutely. The tannest man in the world. But it's not, you know, it's, and it's a perfect tan. That's what pisses me off. How much do you think Hogan was spending in disposable razors at this point? A lot, a lot. And he had, he had the, the one with the big, the shoehorn, the long shoehorn. And the razor tape to that so that he can get his back and get the, get the hard to reach places. And he tried lasering later on, but he said that just took too long. So it's easier just to shave. You know, that's a silly thing, but we never really talk about it. But I mean, this guy's six foot four or or taller at the time. 
over 300 pounds and he's got to not only be tan and shiny, but he's got to be essentially hairless. That's got, that's got to take a lot of time. Yeah. Yes. He was a metrosexual long before there were metrosexuals. I'm pretty sure I'm not saying this to be funny. He would have to spend more time tanning and shaving and oiling than he would actually in the match and training. Oh, I'm not talking about, of course that I'm just saying, but see, that's part of his training to him. Sure. All that stuff. So, so the shaving is part of training. Yeah, it is. Make sure you see your muscles the right way. There he is folks. Cowboy Scott Casey coming to the ring, San Antonio and Austin, Texas finest followed by. Meanwhile, Hacksaw's like, nope, not shaving, not tanning. Got this big flag and this board. Good to go. Hey, we've never really talked about it, but it's not like, I mean, I would assume you guys are carrying that flag for him on the trucks, right? Yes. And the two by four it's on the trucks or are y'all just going to a home Depot in every town? No, usually he would just scurry around the building and try and find a two by four until they started carrying them. He would just hope there was one laying around back. Yes. Yes. For the longest time, and I'm, I mean, I'm serious. The longest time he would just go around buildings and look for a two by four. That, that actually sounds more entertaining than his matches. Oh, what, what the fuck are y'all doing to him? To who? Harley He's Ray's. got a sandwich. He's got the sandwich shop, which is the a shirt sandwich shop. And how about Mr. Perfect here? Not wearing a singlet, just regular tights. Tucking the t-shirt in and it's just a survivor series shirt. That's not a good survivor series shirt either, but the good shirts are over Bruce including races sandwich shop, which is tremendous. You can right now through Monday for this whole black Friday weekend, you save 20% by going to Bruce No coupon code needed or anything like that on every one of our designs. And we got over a hundred designs to choose from at Bruce and here comes the biggest star of them all, Andre the Giant. You know, Andre wasn't moving around the best in the world, but he's still moving around here. He was, and it's funny. Somebody sent me a brother love segment I did with Andre to where Andre and I had worked out the finish of the what was going to be said, and I was going to finish it. But Andre decided when he was out there that he wanted to finish it. And I went to pull the microphone away from Andre and he snatched my arm and you can see the utter fear in my face, which was a hundred percent shoot of like, did I just upcut the boss? Did I fuck up? And he, he took it home and and did his thing. And I was like, thankful that he didn't make me shit my white pants. I do want to mention, cause we've covered it before on our way to WrestleMania four. In early 88, uh, I believe it was taped in March of 88, Hogan beat Harley race. And this was on a Saturday night's main event. And this is the spot where they did the table bump and Harley was injured on that deal. And now he's back here, but he doesn't look nearly the same. Um, he winds up leaving in early 89 
uh, and, and he had, he'd coming back here from a hernia surgery, chat me up about Harley race. Double tough son of a bitch. And he had gone in and it was, oh man, I, I forget what the surgery is, but they removed, you know, a good part of his, his colon and Harley was in rough shape, but at the same time, he's, he's a tough old bastard and he wasn't about to, you know, not show up. He wanted to continue to go. So we, you know, put him out, put him back and let him work for a little while until Harley just felt that he couldn't couldn't do it anymore and or didn't want to do it anymore um the the crazy thing just looking at this match man is you look at the legitimate scary tough guys from rick rude harley race andre the giant uh and kurt was was tough some bitch but also on the other side ken patera and duggan and those are some guys <laughs> that you would not want to meet uh anywhere that just double tough son of a bitch all of them i'll throw bravo in there too bravo was a tough guy just very quiet um frenchy martin guy we haven't talked about a ton here on the show frenchy was from montreal so he had been up there and worked quite a bit as uh, Pierre Martel, as Rick Martel's brother. He worked a lot as Martel's brother, and he did a lot of business in Puerto Rico and Japan. But Frenchie Martin was someone who was able to do the commentary for Montreal, do the color commentary. He had a little segment there, kind of like a Piper's Pit. I think it was Frenchie's paint shop some crazy shit like that, but a, a really good guy. And Vince had a soft spot for him and, and kept him on as a manager with uh, the French Canadian guys. And he thought that, that everyone had heat with Montreal when the only people that had heat with Montreal are people from Montreal and Toronto. And Harley and, uh, Scott Casey and Scott Casey, man, here's a guy who had spent the majority of his career, as far as I know, in, in Texas. Right. And he had done some big business in San Antonio with Southwest Championship Wrestling. He had done some okay business with us in Houston. But uh, I don't know where else Scott had ever been. But he, he was a top guy for Southwest Championship Wrestling, Joe Blanchard's promotion in San Antonio, and came up right about the time that, that I came up to, to New York and was a, working kind of as a journeyman in the middle underneath getting guys over. Yeah. He comes up in 87. And, uh, as you said, he was an enhancement talent, uh, for TV matches and other guys like that though, were Sam Houston or Lanny Poffo or whoever. So, you know, even though he was putting guys over, he was at that Sam Houston, Lanny Poffo level at that era. He winds up leaving sometime in 90. Uh, why didn't he have a longer run here in the WWF? Just three years. I think Scott's, you know, Scott was in the twilight of his career at that point. And this was Scott's last run. It was, there wasn't a whole lot for him to do beyond this. It just wasn't. He didn't click with our audience and it wasn't something that people were clamoring to see a lot of Scott Casey. Hell of a hand, really good at getting people over. 
but that's kind of where it ended. The rumor in innuendo is that, uh, he helped break Booker T in. He's your bud. Yeah. What, what do you remember about his influence on book? He might've helped a little bit with Booker. I know Booker trained with Ivan Putsky and the guys there that had a school in Houston for a little while. I don't know if Scott was one of those trainers, but I do know that Scott was one of the early influences on Booker when Booker first started getting out working house shows. Booker, you know, learned probably more once he got out of training school and got out in, in working in front of people. That's where you really learn. Mr. Perfect here is, is being referred to as, you know, Kurt Henning and eventually in 1989, he's just going to be Mr. Perfect. And that's when the look changes a little bit, but we're still very much in the infancy of Kurt's WWF run here. Although we started earlier in the year, he doesn't actually debut on TV until September. And in October, we started to see these vignettes there. When did you guys know? Hey man, we got something here. I think we knew we had something there before he ever came in. Kurt was, um, the AWA world heavyweight champion. And he was somebody that we'd had our eye on for a little while. Obviously Pat Patterson was friends with Kurt and with Larry, his father from the, uh, Minneapolis area. Everybody knew Kurt and Kurt felt an obligation for a long time. He was very loyal to Vern, but when the money just wasn't coming in, he figured, well, I can either be the champion and be loyal, or I can go to New York and I can make money. So he came in and, and it took a little while to convince him to come in. But when he did, when he got here, he was just so freaking good. But we felt from day one that he was a top guy and that he would be in the main event. Look at the hall of famers that you've got in here. Andre, Kurt, Hacksaw, Ravishing Rick Rude, Tito. I mean, it's just on and on and on the talent that's in the ring right now. And that's before you even get to former NWA world champion, Harley race. And then, well, Scott Casey. Oh yeah. And Harley and Harley race was the first person ever to suplex indoor slam Andre, the giant, uh, when he got to that legendary status. Now, Andre took a lot of slams, a lot of shit early on in his career, but once he became that attraction of Andre, the giant and, and didn't take a lot of slams from anybody, Harley slammed him in the Sam Houston, not the Sam Houston in the summit in Houston, Texas. There's actually video of that somewhere out there. Ravishing Rick rude with his rude awakener, eliminating the world's strongest man. Vince always liked that too. He always liked the moniker of the world's strongest man. So Kenny was the world's strongest man for a while as well. Or hello, Scott. See, but Scott Casey, you get Casey in the, in the ring with a Harley race and Andre and, and they work nice and well together. <laughs> what was Harley like here when he knows he's sort of in the twilight, you know, he's, uh, years past his best years. 
he's obviously lost a lot of size after having that hernia surgery you know, after the match with Hogan in March. Well, I think that the best way you can do is that old George Jones song, still doing time in a honky tonk prison. So he was still doing time in a WWF prison and just going through it and still just kind of going through the motions. And, uh, you know, Harley, if Harley hadn't had the health problems that he has had preventing him from being in the ring, I believe Harley's one of those guys that if he could, he would be in the ring today. It's just, you know, it makes me wonder a guy who had such a reputation for being a badass, and he was a world champion and, you know, a major draw everywhere he went. And now he's sort of lost in the shuffle. He physically doesn't look or feel like he used to. And these guys who he used to sort of be the top guy, you know, his peers had to look and handle him a certain way. And now maybe some of them might not be treating him the same way, or he may just get in his own head. You know, you hear about athletes who lose a step and just the effect it has on their psyche. I wonder how that affects a guy like Harley in wrestling. Well, you know what? I think that as far as how the rest of the talent treated him, the rest of the talent still treated him as if he were, you know, the King Harley race, the, the man and the toughest son of a bitch (laughs) in the locker room. That's still, I believe how people treated him with that kind of respect. But I do think you got something there on the psyche of Harley. I think Harley kind of looked at himself and had to ask himself the question inside. Can I still do the shit I used to do? And when he gets out there and tries to do it and is unable to, then it's like, well, fuck that starts fucking with your head big time. It sucks when you go and you go to jump on the apron of the ring and you can't, and you just miss it. And that's like, for me, an old fart, just trying to sit on the side. (laughs) Sometimes I used to be able to just jump right up there and it's fine. And now it's, I have to take that extra step. So for a guy that, that has made his whole career, in the ring wrestling. Yeah. Very Kabuki ish. Devastating Dino Bravo punches to Tito Santana. Let's talk about something else that's happening in the pay-per-view world. Just a couple of weeks before survivor series, 1988, there is a boxing match on pay-per-view. It's sugar Ray Leonard taking on screw this name up Donnie Donnie Lamond. Yeah, there you go. Uh, for the WBC light heavyweight championship, um, as well as the newly created super middleweight championship. Of course, uh, here's a spoiler for you. Sugar Ray won TKO in the ninth round. Uh, but the reason I'm mentioning this is it was promoted like crazy on WWF TV which feels interesting to me because pay-per-view is still very much in its infancy. It feels like Vince may have wanted to be more mindful of trying to plug or promote another pay-per-view so close to the survivor series, 
But then you realize, wait a minute, Vince is helping promote this thing. And as a result, the WWF wound up losing, according to the torch, $4.5 million on the investment because he didn't have guarantees from the cable companies. Uh, the fight itself grossed $9 million, but Vince wound up losing his shirt here and we didn't see him try to promote boxing again. Chat me up about why in the hell this made sense for Vince. Well, uh, I don't know where Wade got those numbers uh, as far as losing, but that would mean that he would have had to put that much money into the promotion. Vince co-promoted it with uh, Sugar Ray's group and Coors and what have you, but they had come to us for help in the pay-per-view arena because boxing had not really hit it big in the pay-per-view arena yet. WWF was the king of pay-per-view at the time, so they they wanted Vince's expertise. So they came in, they paid us to promote. They bought spots on our show and paid us to promote. So that was that's how it all happened, and it was a relationship with Sugar Ray Leonard that made it all happen. And I don't know that we lost a single penny on that. If anything, we made because they were using us to promote the thing. I just said he didn't promote boxing again, completely forgetting that he did. Oh, Uh, yeah. It was another Sugar Ray in 1997. But when you said, oh, he co-promoted it with Sugar Ray, I'm like, wait a minute. He fought Camacho sometime in the 90s. Chat me up. What was it about the Sugar Ray Leonard Vince McMahon relationship that worked? Cause he did it not once, but twice, but not with other boxers, just with Sugar Ray. So there was some sort of connection. Well, uh, Sugar Ray was, uh, he was one of the first fighter promoters. Okay. Now you, you've got, uh, golden boy, Oscar de la Hoya, who we also worked with in later years. Um, of course, Floyd Mayweather promotes his own stuff, but Sugar Ray was was one of the first, and, and he understood Vince. He was a big fan. He understood the showmanship. He understood Hollywood. He understood selling. So it was a good partnership. He was a great guy and a very good businessman. That's all he looked at was the bottom line, man. Sugar Ray was all about the bottom line. But boxing was not our, our gig. Yeah. Football was more your speed. Yeah, definitely. In bodybuilding. Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, this building here is a big part of WWF history. Richfield Coliseum, uh, winds up closing in 1994 and is demolished in uh, 1999, but Richfield Coliseum was a big part of a lot of early big WWF moments. Why Richfield? The gentleman that was general manager of the Richfield Coliseum had previously been the general manager of either New Haven or Hartford Coliseum, a friend of ours that gave us great deals. He, he was from the home state, Connecticut. Had been friends with Vince and Linda since day one. They'd always done really good business together. So when he took over this building, he wanted to have a big spotlight event in it and have people. It was on the outskirts of Cleveland, and it was 
people looked at it like, why do they have a building way out there? But he wanted to put events on that people would drive and come out to it. It was, it was no different than the Superdome or um, the Pontiac Silverdome, I beg your party. Um, Pontiac outside of Detroit. People said, oh, nobody's going to go out there. If you put the right attractions, they will. So he had come to us and said, hey, I've got the building. I'll make it worth your while and gave us a great deal on the building to come down. And that's why we did it. And two years in a row had a great, great spot, great partner. They did a lot of promotion for us. So why not? Drew both times. Let's talk about, uh, Thanksgiving because today is Thanksgiving. Hey, did you, uh, did you cook a turkey today? Fried it. That's right. I forgot you're doing the, uh, the indoor fryer gimmick, but you do it outside, right? Yes. Yeah. But it is an yes. indoor fryer. You still just set up a folding table on the back porch and do it. Exactly. Yeah. With my butterball fryer. Uh, it's in the torch. Vince McMahon is holding a Thanksgiving party for all the wrestlers and their families. I'm not sure if it's before or after the survivor series though. He is paying to fly in everyone's wife and kids. Hopefully there won't be Turkey dinner before survivor series. Well, there may be some pretty bad scenes in and around the wrestling ring. On that note, you be sure to have a great Thanksgiving. More news in two weeks. Very nice of Wade to wish us a happy Thanksgiving. Chat me up though. Uh, flying in the wives and children for a Thanksgiving feast. Is that right? Well, there was no party and he did tell people if they want to bring in their families that we would pay for it because it was the second year in a row. And that was one of the things guys bitched about. I don't get to see my family. I said, okay, we'll bring them with you. But it was for catering beforehand and have them come. They may have had a little party in the building for the families separate from us, but there wasn't, there wasn't this big party for everybody. Our party, um, you know, shit, we didn't have Christmas party until usually April or May the following year, which was a WrestleMania and a Christmas party together. But this was just during a time Vince wanted the boys to feel better about it. So bring your family, bring your loved ones and they're welcome. Who'd you bring? I brought all my friends. So you were just by yourself. And we were out of there on this night. We flew home on a uh, charter plane. So I actually got back to Connecticut that night. And then we had our big Thanksgiving day on Friday. Uh, who is we? Uh, well, the people from the office, because those of us that were on the road, we didn't get Thanksgiving. So when we got home, that's when we had Thanksgiving and I forget who had it. I don't know if it was Steve Taylor or who had the big Thanksgiving, uh, that year might've been Pat. We just have a big Thanksgiving to do with all the people that don't have family that are only up there for, uh, for the WWF. And in, in later years from like the, the mid nineties until I left, it was, it was my house that always hosted the, the people with no family Thanksgiving and Christmas. Always had a Christmas Eve party and a Thanksgiving party. Steve Taylor works for um, Madison Square Garden now, right? Correct. What's he do there? He runs the 
production side for uh, non-athletic shows. So for the concerts and everything that comes in, that's not a basketball, um, I got you. hockey game like that. Yeah. Steve was one of my best buds all the way through my time at uh, WWE. Great guy. We had a lot of fun together. He left before you though, right? No, he left after me. No, wait a minute. He might've left before me. I thought he left in like Oh five. He might have. What, what's it like to get old? It sucks, Conrad. Okay. I was just asking. It sucks. You forget stuff. You're old. Peter don't hurt. Peter don't work. Peter don't work. (laughs) Paul don't work. (laughs) Mary won't work. Oh, that's great. She's a whore. Listen to you. What? Using that kind of language here. This is a, a fine family program. Can't you tell from... Frenchy Martin and Ravishing Rick Rude and Jake the Snake. By the way, did you see Jake the Snake was on Joe Rogan's podcast this week? I saw that, but I haven't heard it yet. Woof. Is that a good woof? I'll let you you decide. Okay. Can't wait, can't wait. Did you see um, just before the holiday that uh, Vince Russo took credit for discovering Charlotte Flair? Oh, I got a good Charlotte Flair story. Then if you want to talk about discovering her, how did, how did Russo discover her? She was in a skit when she was like 14 back in the okay. day. Oh, well shit. There you go. Then he discovered her, taught her everything she knows. Yeah. I mean, without him, that big break may not have ever happened. You know, I remember when Rick and Rick was in TNA, by, by the way, he was being sarcastic. It was a joke. Yeah, I don't think that's funny. Um, But uh, Rick and I were talking about Charlotte before she was getting into the business and what he wanted her to do, what she wanted to do, so on and so forth. And we're both working at TNA. And it's like, well, I mean, just make the call. Let's get her down to the performance center. (laughs) And of course he did. And he, you know, that's a simple call for him to make. And Dixie Carter comes to me and says, Oh my God, I just read in the dirt sheet that Rick's daughter is going to WWE. And I said, yeah. Says, well, why wouldn't she come here? I said, where exactly would she go? We have no place to train her. We don't, we don't have any, any place for her to go. And Rick doesn't want to be here, <laughs> you know, much less. So yeah, Dixie Carter was very upset that that we didn't snag can Charlotte you, Flair. Can you imagine had she went there? She would have been like, she would have been the one who was uh, in the romantic angle with AJ Styles or some shit. Oh man, no, I, I couldn't have done that to her. But and I, I wouldn't have done it to Rick. I, Rick and I were talking. I was in talent relations. I was. So when's she going to, to the performance center down there, man, that's just real life. Kind of like investing is, is just real life. You know what I mean? You know what? I'm glad you mentioned that. And, uh, I know some of our, uh, listeners need to hear about Robin hood because it's an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, uh, ETFs, options, cryptos. 
I mean, it's all commission free. That's the best part. I mean, even if you're a new stock market, you know, player and all that stuff, you can invest for the first time with true confidence. Now here's, here's where it really gets crazy folks. This is commission free. And while other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge a commission, which means you can trade stocks and you keep all your profits. And with clear design, easy to understand charts and market data, Robinhood lets you place a trade on your smartphone in just four simple taps. Or if you're on the web, you can view stock collections like the 100 most popular, as well as sectors like entertainment, social media, and more curated categories like female CEOs. Plus, you can discover new stocks and track favorite companies with a personalized news feed and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. The website is easy, it's clear to understand, and simple to navigate and take it away. I mean, Bruce, you, you struggle sometimes just to get the WWE Network synced up. But you've got this app down pat. That's how easy Robinhood is. And now Robinhood is giving our listeners a free stock like Apple or Ford or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. So go sign up right now at wrestle.robinhood.com. That's wrestle.robinhood.com. These guys are legit, man. Uh, I can't, I can't recommend this enough. It's easy enough for Bruce to do it. So if you're, so wait a minute, they get a free stock. Yeah. Just for signing up. You got it. I mean, why wouldn't you do it? Dude, they're giving you free stock. Go to wrestle.robinhood.com. Try it out. Even if you're a rookie to the stock market, no big deal. They're going to show you how to do it. Make it fast, make it easy. And you're going to keep more of your own money at wrestle.robinhood.com. And back in the Richfield Coliseum, Jake, the snake Roberts is getting his ass whooped by ravishing Rick Rude. And for those that were wondering, the the handheld, uh, the still photographer, that's the right way to describe him, at ringside is Steve Taylor, the gentleman we were just talking about. Let's get to some notes here from uh, the torch. Vince can be a genius at times. The powers of pain weren't getting over his baby faces, and the Baron didn't help that cause either. On the other hand, demolition had been popular for quite a while, Actually, ever since their feud with strike force and they've gotten a good share of cheers, the road warriors are hot off of this heel turn in the NWA or NWA rather. And if the real road warriors are getting over his heels, then Vince's road warriors must turn heel so they can take advantage of that same momentum. Now Vince has taken advantage of the real warriors momentum and he has done a double turn. Thus this last second decision doesn't affect future scheduled lineups just the side of the ring. Mr. Fuji stands on. And now the powers don't have to give interviews anymore. Something demolition doesn't have a problem with. Wouldn't most promotions have just kept pushing the powers as faces and shoved them in the fans face. So an interesting perspective here, where he's saying that Vince is not going to shove someone down her throat. He's going to pivot and make it happen. What did you think of the decision to, uh, switch the powers of pain and demolition? It certainly makes sense to have Mr. Fuji talk for him if they don't want to talk, but the insinuation that maybe the timing of this is curious because the road warriors just turned heel in the NWA is interesting. 
Well, it was crowd reaction. When you listen to the crowd, they would not boo demolition. They were loving demolition, and they looked at the powers of pain as just cheap imitations of demolition. So the audience had already turned them, and Vince was like, well, fuck it. The only thing keeping demolition's heel is Fuji. Made the turn. It, it was, and it was simple because you didn't have to change the house shows, as he pointed out. Nice and easy fix. You can still have the same matches, still have Fuji, still have everybody. They all do it. And you don't have to change the match that much either because they were all working the same way they're going to work no matter what. Chat me up about um, Jesse Ventura doing light beer commercials. Those start happening around this same time. Big, huge deal, man. Miller light, less filling, tastes great. And it was all to build up to the Super Bowl reveal with Bob Euchre was the spokesman for Miller light as well. And then they started using Jesse and for the very last one, they actually incorporated Vince and had him take off rubber masks to reveal that they were, I think Bob Euchre and John Madden, I think it was, but great gig for Jesse. And it was a good gig for the WWF at the time too, because Jesse was synonymous with us. And then having Vince be a part of that at the end of it for the big payoff was wonderful for the company. Good, good exposure. What a big spot here. Look at everybody getting to their feet. All the heels are celebrating on the outside of the ring. Jake slides the big snake into the ring and just makes his way over to their general direction. And they scurry away. There's no Ooh. chance, no chance in a, in a big show like this with a big crowd that you don't pull the snake out and give them what they want. Right. The snake must come out. The snake must pose. Well, you know, draping him over the rope like that. Quite a visual. Yeah, exactly. And that, that damn poor snake there. Oof. It, it's amazing that a lot of these snakes didn't just simply go batshit crazy. As soon as they came out of the bag, some of them did. But for the most part, you know, just all the travel being cooped up in a bag all the time and just the bumping around and abuse and being thrown around that they weren't a little angrier when they came out of that thing. No chance we ever see something like this in 2018 with PETA and animal rights and all that, right? God, not the way that it was handled then. No way. And we, you know, and the thing about it is, is that we still had to have, you know, the animal people at the shows with the dogs and, uh, the snakes and the birds and all that other crap to make sure that they were treated right. But even those, even those conditions are suspect at best. How's JR's face doing? We haven't talked about that. That was an unfortunate accident that, uh, look at the, look at how big this group is here. And look at me on the left, shucking and jiving. Look at you, dude. It uh, fucking really is uncanny at times. Yes, it look is. At, look Especially at that right now without the dashiki on or I know. The headgear. I'm, I'm thinking, holy shit, before I got a haircut. Yeah, oh. baby. Uh-huh. Million dollar man got slick in the back, shucking and jiving. That's a blue ultimate behind them. As you can see around slicks air, the kind of blue popping through there. But, uh, 
Eric Rottencrotch yeah. on the right. I mean, big boss man out there on the right. It is uncanny. We have, yeah, for both of you guys, we have both of y'all here. You and Eric could be like the Twin Towers. I know. That's what we're going to do for Halloween. We're going to do a Conradison Halloween party in 2019. I, I want to invite you now so you can tell me you can't come. Okay. And uh, it's going to be on uh, Thursday night, October 31st, actual Halloween 2019 wow. here at the Conradison. Are you going to invite Slick too? Not going to do that. Well, Slick would be good because he could be the manager of the Twin Towers. Well, I mean, I, I need to find a, a stunt Slick then. But see, that would be the funny part is if you guys are both dressed up as the Twin Towers, and we had the and real slick, slick is actually Slick. That would be cool. So Man. hypothetically, if we pull this off, can I get you to come as Brother Love? No. That would be tremendous. No. You can host us on the Brother Love show. Let me think about it. No. Look, here I come. Strutting that ass. By the way. Just a jive soul, bro. A jive soul, bro. Never get nothing in the end. Oh, God, he's a good dancer. You are a good dancer, son of a bitch. I won a dance contest in uh, Cancun 2013. Hashtag never forget. Yeah, so how about the Haku crown? Which looks like it was made in a fucking garage. That was the, uh, hacksaw Jim Duggan, Harley race crown. How about the million dollar man green suit? I remember the, uh, the green action figure million dollar man. I liked him better than the, the black suit million dollar man. The green suit was my favorite. The green and the silver suits were my favorite. Never was a big fan of the black one. Look at this cast of characters. This is so wrestling. Akeem, the big boss man, the million dollar man. King Haku and the fucking red rooster. Yeah. Amazing. Isn't it? Which one of these does not belong? Right. And but it was most over that uh, rooster ever was, man. I wish I had one of these macho man capes. Here he comes with miss Elizabeth. Oh yeah. Freak out, freak out. Uh Oh, get to the ring. Don't let anybody touch her. Anybody touch her. I'm going to have to kill you now. All right. Yeah. Because I got my glasses on. It's x-ray vision, brother. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Nobody looking her ass either. As we get in the ring. First name, macho last name, man. Uh Uh-huh. Mega powers reading on my back. Yeah. Uh I'm a mega. He's a power. Yo, Billy Jim, I got a feeling is still talking somewhere. You know, what's fun is, uh, the macho man being introduced here is 239 pounds. What do you think he really weighed? 190. Oh God. No, at this time, I bet he was there bit of 230. Nah. Yeah. So, uh, the other thing that I enjoyed on this is I've got the closed captioning on, on my side. And they introduced him in the closed captioning as the undisputed world wrestling entertainment champion. Eric, oh my gosh. Here it is. It's crashing down and it hurts inside. So he's not the champ, but he gets his own entrance and he's last. And I don't have a problem with that. Well, why would you have a problem with that? Biggest star in the history of the business at this point. 
as Tony Schiavone would say, without question. Yes, this is true, by God. And they're trying to keep they're trying to keep him from getting to that damn their boss man feller. And then there's Coco Ware. So you just said no matching tights and everybody is wearing fucking yellow. Against each other. When you're your opponent, when you are facing your opponent, you can't have the same tights as your opponent. How about if you're a tag team, yes, you can have matching shit. Coco Beware has WWF on his ass and it's blurred out. They're blurring WWF out. Explain that. Cause yeah, you, you can explain it concisely and no, I can't. And here's why I can't. We were told when we were doing something to wrestle for the WWE network that once they reach that settlement, in the lawsuit, and I forget exactly when, but I'm going to say it's Oh two that anything they produce post Oh two, it can't be there, but anything prior to that, it can be there. So if they produced a documentary in 2008, see what I mean? Yes. Okay. But this was no, blurred see, out before that. Well, but here's my question. You've got the WWF logo in the bottom left and the banners hanging everywhere. So that logo is permissible. There had to be some, something in that agreement that said not the logo, but the actual letters. WWF in like a traditional text format, a common format, not like a fancy graphic, but just the letters couldn't be used because that's what in this era, he had something what looks like macho man has essentially what looks like iron on letters on the back. And so he just had iron on WWF, which I've always found funny. Like, why would you put that on your butthole? WWF, I, I guess you wanted to have WWF. In that ass hashtag laps fan chat me up though. Why, why do you think they blur it out? It has to be that right. Like I, the- I would imagine. So I'm not familiar with all the legalities of it. There was a time that everything was blurred out and then they got it changed a little bit where they had some exceptions, but this, this is a weird one. I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. And this is a Mid-South Wrestling main event from just several years before, Terry Taylor and Hercules. Now in the main event at the Survivor Series. Is Terry Taylor uh, the timekeeper on this match, or is he not capable of keeping time by this point? Uh, no, he's not able to keep time by this point. You're going to tell Let me? me th- no, you know what? He, he might have been, been able to still keep time at this point. Do you want to, what uh, is now the time to tell the Terry Taylor watch story? No, I can't do that. Only at the live shows. It's available now at brucepritchard.com. We're shill. Roll time. Hey, uh, here we go. We're going to be setting up WrestleMania next. Of course, the next pay-per-view is going to be the Royal rumble in January. Uh, but from there, it's going to become very, very clear. And of course we're on our way to WrestleMania five, where we're going to see Hulk Hogan and the macho man square off. And that was written about a lot in the torch. Well, Randy Savage defend his WWF title against Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania five, who will be the heel? Is it in the best interest of the WWF to have this matchup? You know, this is by this point, very clear. WrestleMania is the event, right? 
Like nothing yes. and nothing touches WrestleMania. No, that's the Super Bowl. Was there ever consideration that because this is common in wrestling? Maybe we should entertain the idea of Hulk Hogan being a heel. Do you remember that being discussed at all during his WWF tenure? I just found it interesting that even back here in 88 in the torch, he says, who will be the heel? Now we know what happened, but was anybody pitching anything differently? No. And from time to time, I would, I would pitch turning Hulk and would get the emphatic. Absolutely not. Never going to happen. He's going to be our Babe Ruth. And with merchandising and everything else that we have, Hulk Hogan can never be a heel. He that of, was a never with Hulk. He sort of freestyles, he being Wade Killer. Turning Hogan will do very little good. Fans are not going to boo Hogan, excluding if he attacks or rapes Elizabeth. Uh, he is America's superhero. Fans are not going to boo Savage again. Paul Orndorff was the exception, not the rule when it came to that situation. And Savage is conceivably more popular in some ways than Hulk Hogan is at this time. Turning either would not only be risky, but leave the WWF with a lot of merchandise to sell real American hats and t-shirts, macho man, Elizabeth posters and sunglasses. The only alternative is to not turn either of them. It's that simple. The scene can be set by having them get into scuffles. Randy gets jealous or offended by the liberties Hogan takes with Elizabeth and for his own self-centeredness. Savage gets upset at Elizabeth for being with Hogan so much. Hogan gets mad at Savage for overreacting. Elizabeth gets angry at both of them for being immature. That way, Elizabeth isn't aligned with either Hogan or Savage, and they can continue to headline separate cards as baby faces and draw good crowds. Now, obviously, that's not what happened. But I do think it's interesting that he's sort of freestyling, what if we didn't turn either? Now you guys would go on to do babyface versus babyface WrestleMania at WrestleMania 12 with Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Was that ever even considered for WrestleMania five? No, not at all. And and we did babyface versus babyface with Hogan and Warrior in WrestleMania six. So I mean, it was and that was a battle, you know, to to get Vince to go and do that, but. Every once, probably once a year, I could say, I would suggest, what if we turn Hogan and have a story, you know, to, to turn in? It was an emphatic, absolutely no way, shape, or form. This show we're watching gets really, really high marks. Survivor Series 1988. Wade would write, of the two hours and 40 minutes the card lasted, two hours and four minutes were wrestling action. According to my unofficial count, there were 224 tags over the card and it got an overall thumbs up from almost everyone I talked to. It was their best big event of the year. The Richfield Coliseum looked to have many upper deck empty seats and Jesse Ventura and Gorilla Monsoon did a great job in announcing the event that kept my interest and contained a good blend of wrestling action and storyline. I think it lived up to last year's precedent. As we're winding down here, you know, we're home stretching 20 something minutes left. How did you compare and contrast this with the 1987 survivor series? I think that the, the matches themselves overall were better, but it was 
to me, it was just more of the same. And it was a concept deal that you kind of question, God damn, doing this every year is going to be tough. However, when you had less to do, you figure, okay, we can bite the bullet and people will enjoy the, the novelty of it, which they did for a long time. But uh, I think it was a success, yeah. Four matches, <laughs> three-hour pay-per-view. Good God. What do you make of the, uh, the observation that there were some empty seats? 13,500 here. So it's a, it's a huge crowd. Did you guys sort of chalk that up to we've been running the area too often or it's fucking Thanksgiving or we just didn't have an interesting enough card or the business is cooling down? I don't remember any empty seats. So that, that may have been somebody looking up at the camera kills and things like that and seeing empty seats. I don't remember any empty seats other than for camera kills. It would seat 20,000 for basketball, 18,000 for hockey, and you've only got 13,500 here. So there are some empty seats, but it's still successful financially. Sure. And, and again, it's, it's a full building to us. And a lot of that is going to be production kills and different shit, but, um, that basketball and hockey don't necessarily have. Um, but regardless, it was, Business was good. Shit, business was still good here at this time. This was during the, the time still you could put Randy on one card and Hulk on the other, and you're going to do really, really well. House show-wise. Now, Hillbilly Jim is is telling uh, you right now about the phone call they got. Opportunity. It was Opportunity. And Hillbilly Jim made the most of that one phone call and that opportunity by God into a hell of a career. And now Conrad, the mortgage guy with the squisher into the corner. Oh, what a clothesline. Where are you at, Bruce? What do you mean? Where am I at? We're not watching the same thing. Where are you at? Give everyone the time. We're watching television together. I'm at 212, 26, 27, 28, 29. Nothing's changed. Are you dancing right now? No, I'm ahead of you. Oh, hell. All right. Where are you? Uh, how much ahead of you are you? Are you from me? Where are you now? Um, 212, 45, 46, 47. I got synced up. We're good. Okay. Then we're good. Let's do some Hold questions go. here from go for uh, it. Facebook. Eric wants to know, I've always felt like the double turn with demolition and powers of pain was poorly executed. Powers of pain looked weak here when they did not help Fuji by fighting demolition, big, nasty heels. Wait until demolition has beaten up Fuji. What's up with that? Um, first of all, they're heels. Second of all, they were involved in a match in the ring with the conquistadors when demolition beat up Fuji. So they were occupied. Uh, Ryan wants to know, why did they go from teams of five down to teams of four after the survivor series? Because <laughs> teams of five striving to survive was long and could be very boring, but you do teams of four, you can have more matches and no, 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 no. If you're going to say 
teams of five strive to survive. You got to make something rhyme with teams of four. So, and you said the word more, figure it out. We couldn't do teams of five strive to survive because it could be boring. So instead we did teams of four. Your mother's a whore. Didn't expect that. Uh, Mark wants to know what does Vince taking this coffee? Too sweet and lows. Two sweet and lows. Yeah. He likes his coffee hot, black, sweet, and wet. Tony Schiavone told me a joke this past weekend. Do you hear it? Sure. I like my women like I like my coffee. Yeah. With no pubic hair. I like it. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. I agree. Oh, God. Uh, Adam wants to know why was the Coliseum video release of this Survivor Series butchered so badly? Two of the four matches were nothing but highlights. Time, just for time purposes on, on the video. That was during the time those tapes would only hold so much. So you had to get it under like two and a half hours or something like that. Uh, John wants to know did creative. And Vince really think there was enough quality in just four matches. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. No, we thought it was going to be the drizzling shits. That's why they did it. <laughs> yes. And I think it did really. Alex writes the red rooster and Coco beware. were in the main event. Really? Is this a rib? No, it's not a rib. You saw it. It's right there. It's beautiful. In fairness, Red Rooster got eliminated early on, and uh, so did Coco, and we got down to brass tacks. Dave McDonald wants to know who was the better worker between the Ultimate Warrior and Brutus the fucking barber, Beefcake. Oh my God, Beefcake all day long, twice on Sunday. Aaron wants to know was Randy Savage mad that Hulk Hogan's interest was last, even though he was the champ? That was done by design. And the funny part about it is, yes, he was. If he had the belt, he'd go on last and say, okay, but I'm the champion. Shouldn't he go first and I come last? But it was done that way to create that friction, actually. Uh, David wants to know why the switch from demolition being heels to baby faces. I felt they were way better as heels. We talked about this earlier, but did they prefer, like you hear about guys who prefer a certain style one way or another, uh, someone I'm friendly with on the main roster greatly prefers to be a heel, even if it means they make less money because you make more money. If you're, you know, you got all the baby face merchandise, but they would prefer to be a heel just because they have more fun. Chat me demolition up. preferred to be a heel all the way because it was easier to work the matches and they loved being nasty heels. D- don't most people prefer to be heels. Just take the money aspect out of it. Just the actual, uh, the act, the performance, the bell to bell, the promos, not the, not the paychecks. Absolutely. I love being, I don't know that I could be a baby face. You're a heel in real life. I know. Most people are, and, and it's so much easier and so much more fun to be a heel. Hell of a clothesline there by the million dollar man on Hulk Hogan. I've always liked DiBiase's fist drop. Yes. 
And that was something he, he used to do in, in, in mid South and he'd load up his glove and shit, but it looks cool as hell. And it, it looks vicious. Oh no. See Hulkster's getting the Hulk up, man. And I I've never understood why when Hulk tells you don't do it, why everybody does it. They're going to throw that right hand. You know, he's going to block it. He's ready. And Hulkster giving Hercules the tag so that he can get to his former master. What a weird sentence. What? Just a weird <laughs> sentence. Uh, Justin wants to know which five tag team elimination match do Bruce and Conrad prefer this one or the one from 1987. So we did that one last year available in our archives right now, but they did that same 10 man tag concept or yeah, 10 man tag. So you had last year. The Bulldogs, the Killer Bees, the Rougeos, Strike Force, and the Young Stallions on one side. On the other, it was the Bolsheviks, Demolition, the Dream Team, which is Dino and Valentine, the Hart Foundation, and the Islanders. To me, this is not close. This year's was better. All the way. I think this year's was much better. And so far, I mean, every single one of these matches, the match, in, you know, inside is really, really good. And I thought that this year's tag team to answer your question was much better. Uh, Darren wants to know back in 88, 89, did anyone ever rib Arn or Tully? Tully probably more so than Arn. I think that the guys would, would give uh, Tully shots here and there and rib him a little bit, like either padlock in his bag or things like that. Most of the guys liked Arn. I think everybody likes hard. Uh, Dave wants to know if Flair had signed in the summer of that year, how would he factored into this show? That is a excellent question from Dave Rosenbluth. Uh, we've talked about this before SummerSlam 88. You make your big pay-per-view debut as brother love. And you had been teasing a big act and it may have been, you know, a mainstream name who had been involved in some scandals. Or it may have been the nature boy, Ric Flair. And it felt like maybe you had Flair coming over. And of course it wouldn't be long. And JJ would be over Barry Wyndham with the Widowmaker gimmick and Arn and Tully are already there. Hypothetically had that happened and Flair made the jump and made the debut at SummerSlam. Where would he have fit on the survivor series 88 card? I don't know if he would have fit in survivor series, but I, I think that he would have probably been kept boiling underneath to go right after WrestleMania with Hogan in the championship. That's what I, that's what I think I would have done and what I would have suggested. But you know, Vince never really looked at laying it that far out. Some guys he did, some guys he didn't, but with Rick, it was always on and off, on and off, on and off. So he wasn't ready to commit to an idea until he had the talent ready to commit to come in. But that's a great question. And, and for me, I would have, I would have kept him in the mix and use him very sparingly until after WrestleMania. And I'd given, I would have given him a high profile match at WrestleMania, but kept the Hogan Savage and then had, had him go off with Hogan afterwards. I'm really working over Hogan here, giving him the business. 
God damn, you are, man. That's Hulk Hogan that you're hitting with those big hammers. Yeah. But as you can see with the head down, he is bald, folks. That's hurtful. He being Hogan. He is. He knows it. It's not a secret. Rumor and innuendo keep- is that one man gang uh, likes to show up to these uh, convention style events. And rumor and innuendo is that he's going to be at WrestleCade this weekend. Is he going to be signing with me? Well, I mean, I just, I think Slick's going to be there too. I feel like they should do like a, like the old twin gimmick or we just Ooh. mime each other. Right. I, I like it. You need to bring your dashiki. He's taller. No, he's doing the one man gang deal there. So, and I'm not shaving my head. And you wouldn't shave your head and put like a, the skull tattoos, uh, for the purposes of this weekend. No. Oh, hell no. So there's a chance you'd do it. Oh, hundred percent. Okay. No, I'm not. I mean, I, I'm not scared of shaving my head. That's not a big deal. Well, what about the skull tattoos? I'm not going to actually get a tattoo on my head, but would I put a sticker up there that, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Okay. But you I mean, look good bald. See, I wouldn't look good bald. Uh, I, I rocked a flat top for a long time. I, I had the big boss man haircut, elbow, elbow, ah, rack of the eyes. <laughs> I love the old Hogan stuff. Cause it's so. You know, there's a, there's a Hulk Hogan formula, just like you said earlier, you know, you, you shake your head, you point your finger, then you wag it and then you block it. And then one punch, two punch, three punch into the ropes, big boot into the ropes, leg drop one, two, three. Yep. Well, and it worked. It's sort of the same thing with like everything else he does. If he hits anything the third time he's in control, but if you cut him off after two, he's dead. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the trick, man. You got to cut him off. Cut him off after one or two. Motherfucker. God, boss man was agile as shit, even for a big man back then. Getting his big ass up to the top and coming off like that, shit. Now, if only Hulkster can make it to the corner, please. And he comes macho man, like a house of fire working over both of the twin towers, but Haku's in there too. Holy cow. Yeah. The, the, the odds are not, not good for the mega powers. And of course, slick, just tripping the macho man, nailing, nailing him with a cane. It's odd that we would have two managers with canes. It's just wrong. Gimmick infringement. It really and truly is. Oh my, now Slick's all over Elizabeth. That's not going to set well with the Macho Man. And now he's trying to manhandle her. See, you couldn't even do this today. Just even even touch a female and, and try and do anything like that. But the Hulkster comes to the rescue, by God. And you're right there to whoop his ass. Who the hell are they counting out? Well, I mean, uh, the legal man is, uh, no, you're right. Legal man's boss, man, right? 
Yes. I thought it was Haku because he was in the ring, but no, I think it's boss man and, uh, savage. And of course now our hero Hulk Hogan is handcuffed to the bottom rope on the heel side. Oh no. So no, it was Haku and macho man. The ref was just counting for no fucking reason whatsoever. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm just, I guess he was trying to keep things orderly, you know, there you go. Or he, or he may, I don't, I have no idea what's going on right now. You know, if it was Hulk Hogan, I don't know why he doesn't just break those damn handcuffs. Snap him right in two. Because Lord knows the great colleague can do that. Dude. What? Boss man here with the nightstick. Oh, I love this. Yeah, so Hogan loved being handcuffed and being whipped with the nightstick. I don't know if he's still into that kind of stuff, but. Well, there might be a videotape on it. I doubt it. (laughs) Savage, (laughs) Savage is fighting his ass off. God damn, Randy was a working son of a bitch. He had so much fucking energy and would never stop. And now Haku over there getting him some on Hulk Hogan, whipping his ass. You know, the beautiful thing about it was, is if you, you could put a guy like the red rooster and or Haku with a manager like Bobby Heenan, and they are automatically accepted into the, into the top spot in the main event because of their manager. Right. So it was, you know, Frenchie Martin, not so much. Well, now the big boss man and Akeem have been disqualified from this matchup and they've been sent to the back, leaving Haku alone to take on the macho man in a handcuffed Hulk Hogan. And look at that little baby face of uh, the big boss man. God, he had a baby face. So we settled this puppy down into a one-on-one match that everybody was waiting for, King Haku and the Macho Man. Slick's got the key taunting Hogan. You know you want it. You just a jive soul, bro. A jive soul, bro. When you never get nothing in the end. Oh, I love that song. Savage there trying to tag his partner. Nowhere to be found. A little gimmick infringement there with uh, Haku using the patented million dollar elbow of the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Now, you know Hogan's going to get that. He's going to get it soon. He's going to get him that key one way or another. But today, Braun Strowman would just break that shit. Yes or no? Yeah, for sure. And he'd take down the whole ring with him. 
Haku all over. Savage, by God, the mega powers. They're not looking too goddamn mega right now, I'll tell you that. God, remove Randy. Thank goodness. Finally, the slicksters down, and uh, I believe that the key went flying. So no one knows where the hell the damn thing is right now. Pat Patterson at ringside, making sure that no harm comes to Elizabeth. And now Elizabeth digging in the pockets of the slickster. She's got the key now. She's going to unlock Hulk Hogan and Savage. Who's been taking a beating at the hands of Haku is finally going to get a little relief. Hulk Hogan gets in there. He's going to get yeah. back to his spot. Well, what a miraculous recovery that the Hulkster had right there just by getting unhandcuffed. Because a minute ago, he'd been having the shit beat out of him. It's a miracle. Man, Haku with a hell of a splash there. I don't think I've seen Haku do a splash off the top rope before. I think uh, all those guys from the islands, they learned that from climbing the coconut trees. Okay. And jumping from the coconut trees. Okay, Jesse. No, that... <laughs> they really do. Shut up. That's how Snooka did. Oh my That's where God. Snooka got the splash from. So there you go. There's the big boot. You know, what's coming now? Nope. It's a body slam. And then the leg drop, you know, what's coming one, two, three, baby. It's all over. So the he switched it up. He didn't just do boot and then the leg drop. He, he snuck a body slam in there. Well, by God, he was in there with an extraordinary athlete in Haku. And now we got one more seed to be planted. Another seed from SummerSlam with Hulkster and Elizabeth and Randy. Let's see if they leave it all in. That, uh, I think that's Randy's what Macho was worried about. That Hogan was going to try to leave it all in. Well, you know, Randy's trying to tell Liz to go to, go to Hogan, go to Hogan. Hogan must pose. Look at him. Look at him. So Savage is nearly dead in the corner and Hogan doesn't care. He's oh, look at him grabbing a free shot. Hogan picking up Elizabeth and twirling her. That's bullshit. What was that? Oh, brother. Why are you picking her up? Trying to grab a freebie, huh? Hey, yeah, good stuff that we could use for an entire year, man. And no one knew. Yeah, it is one of those, um, survivor series, 1998 moments where you sort of watch it all again and you see it the second time, maybe whatever you missed the first time, but hopefully you guys didn't miss a thing here today when we chopped up survivor series 1988. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving and uh, Bruce, I guess we should go ahead and give everybody a big surprise. What surprise? Well, it's Thursday night, which is our Thanksgiving day tradition that we do a survivor series watch along. And last year 
That meant there was no something to wrestle on Friday at noon. So people missed their Friday noon's main event. But they got the, they got the special from Thanksgiving night. But a lot of people enjoyed that, but then we're still looking forward to their regular routine, their regularly scheduled Friday noon main event. So what are you trying to say? I mean, if it was up to me, I would say, give them something free. Tomorrow, Friday at noon, like always, there's going to be another something to wrestle Bruce Pritchard. And it wasn't advertised or promoted. But we're covering the 25th anniversary of Survivor Series 1993. Without question, as Tony Schiavone would say, one of the topics I've wanted to cover the longest. Uh, when you go back to the, the origin of you and I doing these podcasts, this was actually an episode we did as a practice episode. And that's not what you're going to hear tomorrow, but we are going to talk about that same topic. Survivor Series 1993. I'm looking forward to this, man. Well, why don't we just release the one that we did is is a practice. That would be uncut, uncensored, on nothing, and unremembered. Well, because it wasn't very good. Oh, so this one needs to be good. Yes. Oh, okay. You got it? Then we'll do that. So check it out, man. Tell your friends tomorrow, noon, like always, something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard right here. I was waiting forever for that. Thank you. (laughs) John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> Those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.